everybody. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, your Ohio State Cleveland.com coverage team. And I kind of like didn't do a lot of work for a couple days because I had to go back to my uh, hometown, help my parents out with some stuff. So I am full of energy. I'm usually beaten down by life and beaten down by my job <laughs> when we do this podcast and hanging on by a thread. But I am energized. And feeling it. Are you guys energized and feeling it? Or, Landish, you came in and said you, you're on your sixth coffee of the day, and you're actually covering the basketball team. Are you dying? I'm not dying. Um, <laughs> you're but not, I will, not I will dying. say I was not expecting this type of basketball workload. Turns out they're good. <laughs> Way to go, Landis. Yeah. <laughs> I also had to shuffle out two parking spots before I came here, so I'm a little tired. Yeah. Snow and basketball killing Landis. <clears throat> Tim, how you feeling? Uh, I'm freezing. To be honest, I mean, we've gotten peppered with snow. We had the big storm on Saturday. We Friday night into Saturday, we had the other one over Monday. As you're reading, as you're listening to this, if this is Wednesday morning for you, you know, especially if you live in Central Ohio, it's been negative degrees all night. And I finally had to dig my gloves out of the closet for the first time in about a year. I went sledding twice, and my back hurts. But other than that, I'm feeling oh, good. I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, so listen, we have a lot to talk about. Everybody came back. Everybody. Came back. The deadline to declare for the NFL has passed, and only three Buckeyes turned pro, which is crazy. We'll talk about that. We will continue our positional breakdown. In the last Buckeye Talk podcast, we did the backfield with quarterbacks and running backs. This week, we will do receivers staying with the offense and all these receivers who are coming back for another year. Uh, And of course, we'll get to your food talk. 45 questions from the uh, Twitter folk when I put out the call this week. Last week, because of me, we recorded the podcast before the national championship game and made some references references in the podcast like, wow, that play, that was a play. And then it turned out like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was actually like a whole lot there of There were several plays. Things. There were like two, the last two were like, whoa, that plays. Yeah, like... Yeah, we were joking about, like, oh, the craziest thing you ever saw in your life. Um, I wrote uh, a quick story about it that night, um, and we're, like, nine days removed from it. But I want to just touch on it very quickly. Your opinions on Nick Saban putting in his backup quarterback at halftime and what Urban Meyer would have done in the same situation. I think almost every Ohio State fan watching that game and having lived through this season with JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins had some thought about that topic as it happened. What were your thoughts? Uh, that, I think what, it, what everyone was thinking, um, the, the stark similarities between the two situations and whether or not Urban would have done the same thing. I think it's a very interesting point to ponder. Um, and I haven't really thought about it much since then. I actually forgot about it. I thought the national championship game was two weeks ago. That's how uh, <laughs> you're. You're so how, knee deep in snow and basketball. That's how on, on top of time I am. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting discussion point. I think we could actually have a 45 minute conversation about it if we wanted to. Um, but I thought it was an interesting conversation. But I, I don't think Urban would have done the same thing. If that's what you're asking me, I kind of agree, and I feel like you know I was expecting kind of this this question as I was driving up here a little bit talking about that game and admittedly when it happened I was kind of surprised because we all know Saban is a bit of a close to the vest kind of guy when it comes to offense mm-hmm. not definitely not defense but offense and you know seeing at halftime like about 20 30 people saying 
put Tua in the game, put Tua in the game, referring to Tua Tagovailoa, the freshman quarterback, and he did, which surprised me a lot, and that that made me think, like, Urban didn't do it, I don't think he would, because there were times this season when he could have done it, and he didn't do it. There, there was one difference between the two situations, and it's like, Putting Tua Tagovailoa in the game was like always on the table for Alabama. They talked about it before the Sugar Bowl against Clemson. They ended up not doing it because they didn't have to. They talked about it throughout the year. Like and I think there was conversations about a possible two quarterback thing with Jalen Hurts and Tua. So it wasn't that. That makes it a little different than what Ohio State had going on. There was never. There was some talk after the Oklahoma game about whether or not they would switch to Dwayne Haskins, but that was outside talk. It was never inside. Like Urban Meyer never put that idea out there. And Nick Saban, I don't think, ever shied away from the fact that like if we need Tua to play, he's going to play, and then they needed him, and he played. So I think when I wrote that, I said I thought both Urban and Saban are ruthless at times and loyal at times. But I think Saban leans more ruthless and Meyer leans more loyal. So... Beyond the discussion about Haskins and JT Barrett, if if Urban Meyer was in the if Urban Meyer was the Alabama coach, exact same players, exact same two guys, would Urban Meyer have done it? No, I don't think he would have. Uh, okay, so we're agreeing that like Urban Meyer sticks with his guy through thick and thin more than Nick Saban did. That move won the national championship for mm-hmm. Alabama. So, and again, people have already had this discussion. I just want to have it quick. Should Urban do that? Or is are you and should Ohio State fans be comfortable with the idea of, you know what? Urban Meyer is just going to err on the side of his guy, err on the side of loyalty. And there is a payoff to that as well. It's not as obvious a payoff as you put in the backup quarterback and he leads you to the national championship. Certainly that move could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. If that Jalen Hurts seemed to have handled it very well, but if you put him in and then the freshman stinks and now you got to put Hurts back in and now you've lost the game and you've blown up your quarterback room, like there was risk there, certainly. Should Urban Meyer be learning any lessons from Nick Saban here? Or should Ohio State be very comfortable with the idea of Urban Meyer wouldn't have done that, and that's good too? That's a really hard question to answer. I, I I think there's a lesson to be learned. I think you have to. I think you have to be willing to gamble a little bit to win a national championship, and Urban has done that or did that at Florida anyway. I think it was a little bit of a gamble to like to play Chris Leak and Tim Tebow together, but he did it because that was the best thing for Florida at the time. Um, I guess you could argue that playing JT and, and Dwayne together or just playing Dwayne would have been better for Ohio State this year. Um, but it was two different situations, too. Like Alabama could have made a quarterback change in the middle of the season when it was pretty obvious that Jalen Hurts had limitations and they didn't do it. And then when it was like, when play Jalen Hurts or win a championship, Nick Saban did the thing he thought was going to win him a championship. So maybe that's maybe we should give Urban a little more credit and think that he would do whatever it takes to win a championship in the moment. Um but I do think there's something to be learned in terms of being a little more of a risk taker because um, I think that Urban has played it a little conservatively over the last few years. Since, since they won the title in 14, I think he's played a little conservatively. I think it would have been hard for Urban to take out a fifth-year senior at quarterback versus you know Nick Saban, who he, his quarterback in Jalen Hurts had lost one game ever, and that mostly was, that was just because he was going up against Deshaun Watson, and they lost on essentially a walk-off touchdown. So I could see I could see in that situation where 
it would have been hard for Saber, for most coaches, particularly if it were Urban instead of Saban, to pull the trigger on that move. We also, and the other thing is also they made that move. It was just as likely to blow up in Saban's face, and it could have been, you know, a bigger a bigger loss for them. Instead, to give to a credit after he he had a play where he almost could have gotten sacked twice and somehow got a first down that got him going. He gets sacked there for for example. You know, they lose. All of a sudden, everybody questions what happened. Why do you pull them? And it's just a case of good players sometimes make any coaching decision look like the great decision. I'm getting some crap from Alabama fans, by the way. And I would like to espouse my Twitter theory. Also, I'm going to try to dial it back a little bit, make this more about football, and make this podcast less about less about me screaming at the world. Even though somebody sent me a video of a robot playing ping pong. Ooh. <laughs> This is my this is my halftime tweet. Alabama benched its starting quarterback for the second half, so the committee won't count this as a full loss for the tide. Right? That's my in-game tweet. 189 retweets, 604 likes, which is pretty good for me. Yeah. <laughs> now, like a week later, I start getting crap from Alabama fans. Like a week later, they just stopped partying, and then now they're yeah, searching. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so here's my Twitter philosophy: if I'm covering the game. I'm going to still try to make jokes while I'm there, but I'm giving you analysis. I'm not trying to fly off the handle. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying, like, this game's over. Or, like, turn out the lights because it's 21 to 10. It's like, no, there's ebbs and flows in college football. What are you talking about? But when I'm not covering the game and I'm sitting in my, my giant blue lounge chair, I am going for the joke. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I stand by my SEC-fueled joke. Now, blew up in my face. I would tweet the same thing. You tweet to win the tweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the joke. I'm not going to re... What? Because an Alabama fan sent me like a gif of from that... What's the Simpsons show that's about robots, by the way? Futurama? Futurama. Some Futurama gif about like you stink or I don't know. I don't even understand what these gifs are. How many... How many uh... This tweet didn't age well tweets did you get? 30. I hate that. 30. You didn't get some so freezing cold takes mention... Probably, yeah, but uh, yeah, this tweet, yeah, exactly. This tweet, yeah, because that's what Twitter's about. Twitter is a historical record of thoughtful analysis. No, <laughs> it's dumb jokes in the moment. If you're looking for stuff that is aging well, go to the frickin' library. Get off my Twitter feed. <laughs> if, if Twitter really wanted to improve itself, it shouldn't have doubled the character limit. It should have created a sarcasm fine, you know, italicized for sarcasm or something like that. Yeah, here... Just for future reference, if you're reading my Twitter feed, just assume it's in italics. Yes, same. Ohio State. We, before senior day, did our annual thing where we say, here are the underclassmen. Oh, that wait. M- what? what was your answer to that question? What's the question? I already wrote a whole thing about it. Yeah, but I didn't read it. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I admit I did read it. I Assuming just some of the listeners didn't read yeah. your... Oh no no! I almost or, got away without having an answer there. Or, or they forgot me. Or they that. forgot maybe since it's been a week since the game happened, even though it feels like a month. Urban would never have done it, and I think you have to be okay with that. Like, there's a payoff. the The problem is that when something works, everybody thinks, "Well, that worked, so that was the only solution." Here's also what might have happened, and I pointed out Jalen Hurts might have done that in the second half. There have been times when JT Barrett's looked bad, and then you kept him in, and then. Like, the Penn State fourth quarter happened. So you can't assume that that was the only way for it to happen or that, you know, like, it, it's hard. And I just think you 
Ohio State has a really good coach. You, you can't go through life wishing that Urban Meyer were more like Nick Saban. Um, I think there perhaps is a lesson there, but I think also you're just going to be holding your breath for a long time, waiting for Urban Meyer to bench veterans for, you know, for after a bad half. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. I, I don't know that anybody other than Saban would have done that. And I think now, now I think it's True. possible, and I don't really think this is going to happen, but I think it's possible that there is some subtle – subtle, unspoken downside to doing that. That, And maybe this is fine. As Urban says, life in the big city. But maybe everybody in the Alabama locker room is looking over their shoulder next year. Because you're like, you know what? I'm a bad half away from getting benched for the next five-star behind me. And that's good on some level, but not great. You want guys to be on edge, but not panicked. We've seen what a quarterback looking over his shoulder looks like. It happened here. Listen, Urban Meyer did. That's the one thing. Urban Meyer has done that. He benched Cardale Jones at halftime against Hawaii. Didn't work. Didn't work out. No. So, like, there are different situations here. The thing that I thought was, I thought there were so many comparisons. Jalen Hurts is JT Barrett. Yes. Just two years younger. Like, he just, he's on on the JT Barrett path. Mm -hmm. Except now he's been blown off this path, and he's going to finish his path at Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. So that's fine, and you have the trophy, and nobody's going to argue with having the trophy. But I do think there is something there that I think um, I think loyalty can seem naive in this day and age, but I think there is a hidden upside to loyalty, an unspoken upside that I think you need to be aware of, and I think there's an unspoken downside that that maybe never comes out, and maybe is not that much of a risk. But a possible unspoken downside to ruthlessness. Yeah, and I don't mean to necessarily turn this into an Alabama podcast by any stretch, but the thing I thought of is the next seven months in Tuscaloosa are going to be nothing but is it going to be Jalen or Tua and complicating that more. They lose their fourth, they're going to be looking for their fourth offensive coordinator in 13 months after Brian Dable left to go to the Bills. Oh, I don't think there's any discussion. I think it's Tua. Not like whatever. I'm not an Alabama expert. That guy won the national championship. But the second he struggles, though, is going to be where it gets tricky. If Jalen Hurts is around to challenge him. I wonder if Jalen Hurts will stay. Or I mean, again, Ohio, it's, it's very, other than the fact that Saban chose it and Urban had it forced upon him, their quarterback situation now for 2018 looks very much like Ohio State 2015. And that didn't go so well. Right. So if Hurts is back, it might be complicated because that's the thing. And that's the thing that once you establish it, if you establish yourself as a place where if you have a bad half, you might come out. Tua has a bad half. Well, why isn't he coming out? When I had a bad half, I came out. Now he had a bad half. Isn't it my turn? Now, you take all that because you got the title. Mm -hmm. You did what you had to do to win the title. You take the fallout. But I do think there might be some fallout to Tim's point. All right. At senior day. Before senior day, we always do underclassmen who might be playing their final game at Ohio State. We, at the time, thought, Bill and I thought seven Ohio State (laughs) players would be under, seven Ohio State underclassmen would be gone. Tim thought six. We did a poll. The leading vote getter in our poll from you guys 
was six people leaving, 33%, five people leaving, 25%, seven people leaving, 18%, and three, three got four and a half percent, got 60 votes out of 1,324. And the final answer here is three. Denzel Ward, Sam Hubbard, Jerome Baker. Three guys who all of us said were leaving. We also all agreed that Mike Weber was leaving. And we all agreed that Draymond Jones was leaving. And then we had some scattered uh, Kendall Sheffield, uh, Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell. Um, But those five guys we were sure are gone. And only three of the five are gone. How shocked are we sitting here? that Ohio State only lost three underclassmen to the NFL. Pretty shocked. Like, about as shocked as I can be, I guess. And <clears throat> Paris makes a little bit of sense, although I, I think he is draftable. I was very surprised by Draymond. I was very surprised by Mike Weber. Um, that might be it. But, I mean, I mean two, you're talking about Mike Weber wasn't, like, necessarily a hot NFL draft prospect, but, I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast. Just, like, the situation he was in seemed to suggest that he would leave and maybe should leave. Um, and Draymond was, like, a top 50 draft prospect, according to some people, possible first-rounder. Um, I think Mel Kuyper had him as, like, the number 9 or 10 defensive tackle prospect in the draft. So I was very surprised by that. So overall, yeah, pretty shocked. I'm pretty shocked as well. And my biggest amount of shock comes from the wide receiver position that mm-hmm. everybody's coming back. You know, we kind of thought one guy out of the, that group would leave just because it's a crowded group. We didn't think all six guys were going to come back. And guess what? All six are coming back. And what's going to be interesting, we'll talk about it a lot later, is how the dynamic is going to change coming into this season. Because you have three guys who are going to be redshirt seniors. You're going to have two juniors. You're going to have K.J. Hill, who's a redshirt junior. It's a veteran group out there, and these are guys, three of them definitely are done after next season. It's going to be guys that are going to be trying hard to separate themselves within that group, and within a group of six, it's so hard to separate yourself because as we've seen this group all season, it's been one guy who's shined at a different time and they've kind of taken turns doing that, but are they going to be able to, to want to do that a second time? Is it a good thing? That all these guys came back. Is it automatically good that guys are back? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't. I'm kind of split on it. To be to be honest, I think it's crazy to be angry about having good football players. But I, to some extent, get the sentiment that like you're just ready to see new guys play. And some of these receivers, in particular, have been around for a while and not been super productive. So I get wanting to see some new faces at receiver and being. I don't know if angry is the right word or just not excited, I guess that they're all coming back. But overall, I think it's a little silly to be upset about having good football players on your team. Tim Bielek, can you have too many good players? No. I yes. Mean, Go ahead. <laughs> I, well, I, I understand where your point, because as good as you are, as many good veteran places you have come back, there's only one football. No, they're using two this year. <laughs> oh, really? That, I swear to God, if somebody came with a, with, with a league – where there were two balls on the field at the same time, and you had to tackle both guys. It's still 11 on 11, but there's two live balls at all time. And what you do is you get the ball that's advanced the furthest. What if if each ball was worth a different amount of points? Like you have a three-point ball and a six-point ball. 
Like you hand off the three point ball and throw the six point ball deep. Yeah, and it's like it's known where they are. Like it's not, there's not like it's not like a what do you call it? What's the thing where you shuffle the things around? Three card Monty. Three card Monty. <laughs> yeah. Like you know where you know where the the six point ball and the three point ball is if you're the defense. But then you have to like if if it gets hard to stop them both, you have to decide which one you want to stop. Is that not the next evolution of American sports? Is just adding a second ball to existing sports? I don't know. Well, there was a high school a few years ago that tried an offense that had two quarterbacks on the field at the same time, which also was going to happen in college. Yeah. Some, I think. Th- I think though, it's going to happen for the Ohio State Buckeyes. If I remember it years ago, yeah. they actually outlawed that formation at least in high school. Like you can't run that anymore. I mean, I could be wrong. Penn, I remember Penn State did it in law. <laughs> well, I mean, no, two quarterbacks in the backfield together. I mean, yeah, Penn State did it. Yeah, that's. I love I love that. I think Sports yeah. Illustrated wrote a story about but, it, but yeah. I love that offense. Yeah. But anyway, but can- until we have two balls, <laughs> yes. My mom told a story. My mom, who listens to this podcast, for no reason, my mom and I were at dinner, and she's talking to. She was a kindergarten teacher her whole life, and she just starts talking about how they had like the the, the meeting at the beginning of the year with all the kindergarten parents. She was explaining how, like, don't bring a toy for recess because we have enough toys here. Then all of a sudden it's like only certain kids can play with your toys or you're worried your toy's going to get broken. It's not good for the kindergarten unity. She's saying, like, don't, don't bring your own toys in. Don't bring your own playground balls in. She says, we have balls here. She, and she said, we play with the principal's balls. <laughs> My mom's like 73. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just telling a story about how with the time that she told all the parents here in kindergarten we play with the principal's balls yeah and we just were at friendlies when we ate that by the way i was thinking of you because i was drinking a chocolate fribble oh, in man. pennsylvania and there's no more friendlies in ohio uh back i didn't know to, there were friendlies up to pennsylvania that's good to know. yeah back to two balls <laughs> i think so you think they're fine you think you think this is okay i think so just because you know, after those six guys, you have question marks with Jalen Harris, Elijah Gardner, and then the three receivers you're bringing in in this class with Cameron Babble, Christian Smith, and Cameron Brown. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have to naturally find ways to rotate around the position, and I think obviously we'll talk about later the dynamics are gonna change, and I'll will tell you a big reason why later on. Ooh, Ooh that's a little, that's te- little little tease coming ahead. <clears throat> is, but, it, is it the quarterback and throw? That's one. That way part, to go, Bill. Yeah, that's. We we'll have to delete. Well, that file. actually, that's part one. Oh, it's a two-parter. Two okay, and it's just about experience. I don't like the old cliches. Like the best recruit you can get is a veteran coming back in your football team, and in a way, that's true because each of these guys, in some way, contributed to Ohio State's success in the passing game. You want to stand out, but if you can't, if you don't have a standout, next best thing is you know a couple guys that when their numbers called. They are able to make something happen. You're changing my mind. Circle of life. There is a natural evolution of how things happen on a football team. At Ohio State, the new evolution is lots of underclassmen leaving. So, guys like Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin and Draymond Jones and Mike Weber and guys like that got early opportunities in part because older guys ahead of them left. So now the guys under them are thinking, okay, now it's my time. Guys are going to leave. And when the natural evolution changes, I think it can be a problem. Now, again, 
I, I'm not going to say that, again, whatever, the thing you said, don't be angry, don't be upset the guys are back. I don't know that this is great. I don't know. That receiver room, I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it's almost good Trayvon Grimes is gone, which mm-hmm. is obviously stupid and ridiculous. But that group, they were going to change. Here's the whole thing, right? The receivers weren't good enough. They recruited Trayvon Grimes, Jalen Harris, and Tyjon Lindsey to change that. Trayvon Grimes transferred. Tyjon Lindsey never got here. Thankfully, because all the guys that they recruited to improve this part of the team that wasn't good enough, all those guys are still here. They all played as sophomores, and they weren't quite good enough. They all played as juniors, and they weren't quite good enough. They were better. Not great. They weren't great. Was that a great receiving core last year? No. 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 They played it. Now they're back as seniors. The same guys. And they're great guys. They are great guys. I All the stuff last preseason about changing the attitude in the receiver room, Terry McLaurin and K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon are great guys. Nobody is disputing that. Austin Mack wants to play. Austin Mack is going to be a junior this year. Can yeah. Austin Mack have his turn where he doesn't have four old guys in front of him? that he has to share time with, where he gets to emerge, he's going to be a junior. I don't know. I think so many guys... And in 2015, this was mostly Braxton-fueled because they were hell-bent on getting Braxton Miller the ball at his new position, and they did a terrible job doing it. That was more about them than it was about Braxton. They did not know how to get him the ball, and they kept trying to jam it to him in terrible ways that didn't work. But they did not let that offense evolve because they had so many good players. They didn't know what to do. Here's where they are now. So that offense had too many good players. For lack of a better word, this offense has too many mediocre players. And I know some people don't want to hear that, but this is not trying to figure out, are we going to give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, Curtis Samuel, Michael Thomas... Nick Vanette, right? All these. Few- this is trying to figure out: Are we going to give it to Mike Weber or Terry McLaurin or Paris Campbell or Johnny? Like good players, but these aren't high NFL draft picks. But yet, it's time. This next year, here's what I think next year should be. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. Next year is the Dwayne Haskins, J.K. Dobbins, Demario McCall, Austin Mack, Jalen Harris, Ben Victor offense. Is that wrong? Is that wrong to think it's time for that? Because right now you have that with Mike Weber, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, Terry McLaurin, and Johnny Dixon in there getting snaps too. Where's DeMario McCall fit? Tell me yeah. I'm wrong. No, I, I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think I agree with a lot of what you said. I'm actually like surprised that I think that because I'm usually one that's like – who thinks you can't have too many good players, but I think I think there's some truth to that. Um, the thing about it for me is, like, I don't know, outside of, like, DeMario McCall, I don't know who's the guy that I'm screaming for to get the ball more. Austin Mack. You're not screaming for Austin Mack to get it more? No. I, well, yeah, I think he should, but I think he will. Like, I don't – they rotate receivers a lot, and I do think that if someone truly emerged as a top-flight receiver, he would play more. It's just that it didn't happen last year. And if you want to argue that Austin Mack didn't have the opportunity to do that, 
I guess I would listen to that, but I would probably disagree. Um, if Austin Mack has an awesome spring and an awesome summer and he's the number one receiver in the room, I think they're going to treat him like a number one receiver and then rotate the other guys around him. Um, McLaurin and Hill and Paris and Ben Victor, and I don't know what Jalen Harris is, but if all those guys are rotational receivers and Austin Mack's your guy, I think that can work. Um, the only thing that I'm truly concerned about from an offensive playmaker standpoint is what happens to Mario McCall. And I think that's a very important question because we've seen how dynamic he is, and now he is buried at H-back. So that is the thing that concerns me most. Otherwise, I don't think it's a huge problem to have all these guys back at receiver because, like I said, if they find a top guy, I think they'll treat him as such. There's ways to have both, I think, kind of what you're saying, Doug, and kind of what I was saying about how it's not a bad thing to have too many good players. If the idea of being a championship program is to be essentially a meritocracy, best guys play, there's no reason to think that your offense, as you kind of stated it, can't happen. If these guys are truly the best, like, say, you know, DeMarion McCall through spring and fall is the best H-back, and they move K.J. Hill to wide receiver, and they make him a slot guy with Austin Mack at one end and Jalen Harris at the other two tall receivers with Rashad Berry at tight end, J.K. Dobbins at running back. If if it truly is that kind of competition-based, where you really have those six guys a receiver and you think it's that tight and you want to throw Harris in there and make it seven... It should be a thing where best guys play. That goes back to kind of the conversation we were having earlier about the Saban philosophy. It's best guys play. And you have to weigh that a little bit. But it's not, I don't think it's crazy for both things to happen. For it to be a good thing for all these guys to be back and for the best players to play. I mean, there's a possibility where guys like Terry McLaurin only, guy like Terry McLaurin only gets like 10 catches because the guys in front of him are just that much better. And everybody's happy? All these guys who came back, these veterans, are just okay with that? Everybody's fine. Uh, I played more. I played less as a senior than I did as a sophomore and a junior. I think everybody's good. Everybody's happy. Not everybody. Not everybody, but some of them. I think part of this is coming back to win a championship. Okay. And part of this, I'm sure, you know, some guys like Johnny and Terry probably got word that they – they probably weren't going to get drafted very high, if at all, and they th- their probably advice, you know, it's better for you to come back one more season. Although I think in the case of Johnny, when he saw Paris is coming back, he tweeted three hours ago, pretty much using a, almost the exact same video on Twitter. He's coming back. I didn't know this. Who did we think? Who did we think the best receiver was last year on the team? Didn't we come around? I think I'd come around at the end of the year that Austin Mack was our best. Yeah, receiver. I think we were all in agreement that it was Mack here. Receiving yards for the receivers last year. Who was first? Most receiving yards. Uh, Paris. Paris, 584. Who was second? Uh, KJ. 549 for KJ Hill. Who was third? Uh, Johnny. McLaurin, 436. Who was fourth? Johnny. Johnny, 422. Who was fifth? Victor. Ben Victor, 349. Austin Mack, 343. Sixth. Sixth in receiving yards. I don't think he should be sixth in receiving yards next year. Four guys ahead of him that he didn't think were all coming back probably all came back. You need more Austin Mack. You've got to squeeze in Demario McCall. I think it's time for Jalen Harris to get on the field. Mm-hmm. Depth is good. Depth is good. Depth is good. I don't know. I, I'm, I am prepared for some, I don't know, stuff. With this many offensive guys, um, again, and who are fine, who are fine, 
but who are not game-changing, ex- consistently explosive guys that you think, oh, God, we couldn't live without him. It's like the whole point here is that you, you, there's a next guy up. There's a next guy up, and there's, there's a backlog now, brother. So let's go to defense real quick because I don't think this defensively. And I have a question since we like to use questions and since it's from our man Goon. Oh, and I got off Twitter I have too many things. My phone. Are you guys, are your phones slowing down for real? I feel like my phone is actually, is definitely noticeably slower. Can I, uh, there's some Ohio State related news. Is it basketball? No, it's about Pat Chun. What about him? New AD at Washington State. Leaving, hired Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. And is now going to Washington State. So my neighbor, we're in my basement. My former neighbor who moved, went to Ohio State, his roommate in college was Pat Chun. Really? What was Pat Chun when he was here? He was associate AD? I mean, they have all these as... There's a bunch of associate ADs. But but Gene Smith has quite uh, a little uh, assembly line of people that he's kicked up to the next level. Yeah. Martin Jarmond at BC, Pat Chun went to Florida Atlantic, now Washington State. Ben Jay went to Hawaii and then didn't work out there. Um, Heather Catalano... Like Catalano, right? Is that her name? I think it was at Eastern Michigan. I think it's moved up. It might be at Pitt. That might not be the right name. Look up the Pitt AD. Who's the Pitt AD? Um, Pat Chun wants to be the Ohio State AD. Pat Chun, I think, has one goal, and it is to be positioned to replace Gene Smith. With the AD, Heather Like. Heather Like, yeah. She was here. She's, in Pitt. She's the AD at Pitt. She was here. That's, a, that's a, quite a group. When Gene retires, it is going to be blood sport for that job <laughs> um, because, um, like, Gene was a really good candidate because he was from Cleveland and he was the AD at Arizona State. I mean, like, Pat Chun is thinking to himself, now I'm positioned. Now I'm positioned. If he's there for a couple years and whenever Gene wants to retire, Pat Chun wants to be the guy. I did find your question, by the way, from, from Goon. Goon. From Goon. At Goon4218, he asks... At Doug Lamarice and at Buckeye Talk Pod, which I hope you guys are following, he asks, "How huge is the impact of Draymond Jones returning? I was worried defensive line might be thin. Anyway, they bump him back outside or stay three tech inside with the amount of defensive tackle talent they have, and it lists Cornell, Garrett, Vincent, Landers, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. That's a big keep. Dray- Draymond, we're talking about like there's a whole group of receivers. Draymond has obviously separated himself from anybody else on the interior of the, of the defensive line for the last two years. He is better than anyone they have there. Yeah. Yes. I also – I'll be very curious to see how much they play him at defensive end because I think it's going to happen. And, like, he'll be he'll be in the Rushman package. It'll be Bosa and Young and Draymond and somebody else. Jonathan Cooper. Cooper, most likely. Um, but they might let Draymond be outside sometimes sure. in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think they're going to – what Draymond Jones is a really good defensive tackle. What he does best is pass rush. Um, and I think – and we even haven't talked to him, but I think maybe part of the reason he came back is that so he can show that because he didn't have much opportunity to do so this year. That's what Nick Bosa said. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah. That's so, what Nick Bosa said in bowl prep when he said, yeah, Draymond's going to be coming back. He hasn't had a chance to show people what kind of pass rusher he is. And I was like, what? Draymond's coming back. 
And he's like, oh, well, you know, yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's coming back. So, yeah. So Nick Bosa's one for two in predictions. We should have just oh, like, yeah. Nick, what about Mike Bubber? Yeah, he's coming back. What about Paris? He's coming back, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kid broke all the news in one day. Didn't get the shutout right this year. Did get Draymond coming back. And then, because yeah. then when I asked Draymond after the Cotton Bowl, I said, well, Nick Bosa said you're coming back. And he was like, Nick Bosa has no understanding of the dealings with my uh, career aspirations <laughs> or whatever. And it was like, yeah, he did. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. Um. But that's a big that's that so I, but I do think yeah. that happens right. What, that, I mean, come on, it's not like the guys don't go off into the wilderness and make their decision. He talked to Ohio State and said, "Listen, I I want to be more. Can we? What can we do here?" Larry Johnson said, "I will show the world your pass rush moves next year. If you're back here, we will give you an opportunity to show the NFL what kind of pass rusher you are." And he said, "Okay." Yeah, I think so. And I don't think he'll be a permanent defensive end because he's too good on the interior. And he is, like you said, separated himself from everyone else there. But I also think that they might be deep enough at defensive tackle that they could play him at defensive end the majority of the time if they wanted to. But but isn't he – but what do you think he is in the NFL? Uh, Maybe like a strong side strong defensive, side defensive end, end? Like a 3-4 defensive end? Yeah, like he's not a, he's not a space-eating defensive tackle. And I, uh, playing him as such, I think, would be a waste of his athletic ability. So I think he could be a strong side. And he's not one of these college defensive ends who's going to end up being a, a stand-up outside linebacker in a 3-4. No, in a 3-4, no. he's an end. But that's a pretty – that's a good position too. You're not just a straight-up get sacks and do nothing else guy. He can stop the run. He can take up space. But he can also pressure the passer. You can be a 3-4 end or a 4-3 interior guy or just be versatile and make some money. Yeah, we're seeing like Adolphus Washington has played really well for the Buffalo Bills this year, and Draymond's a very similar player. So there's but better, but yeah. but better. Yeah, yeah. You've seen the the idea when you brought a free four defensive end is another one I thought of is Cam Hayward. You obviously saw him for a few years, Doug. Are there? Do you feel like he could have a similar success at defensive ta- defensive end three four like Hayward does? Who, by the way, is going to the Pro Bowl for the first time ever? No, Cam Hayward was awesome. I don't think he's as good as Cam Hayward. <laughs> Cam Hayward was a monster, I thought, um, and was just an unbelievably solid college player, I thought, that had a very high NFL floor and a high ceiling. And he's hitting his ceiling now, but I think he was good right away. And he's just a – he's exceptional, but but I think I, – I would say Draymond is between Adolphus Washington and Cam Hayward. That's fair. And uh, Cam Hayward was a first-round pick, and Adolphus was a third-round pick. I mean, that's a pretty good place to be. So second-round pick in 2019, mark it down. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, it'd be, I think it could be a first-round pick, too. But, I mean, I, I think, think... Yeah, I think there's, like, there are guys who leave early, and you're like, man, I can't believe that guy left early. Well, like, the reality was he wasn't really going to improve his draft stock. Draymond can, I think, drastically improve his draft stock with another year. Yeah, and yeah. And what it does is it takes a group that we already thought was really good and makes it even better next season because you could potentially line up Bosa and Young at defensive end, Landers and Jones in the interior. And as you mentioned, Bill, there's all kinds of possibilities with moving Jones outside. You know, if you want to bring in Haskell Garrett and and Robert Landers in certain situations. Antoine Jackson's going to play. You have, so essentially you'd have another crazy group, crazy deep group of defensive line. You could play eight, eight, nine guys on that defensive front. We talked about the depth all season. That's not going away. It's just going to be in different guys. And in some cases... You have three top top tier guys in Nick Bosa, Draymond Jones, Chase Young, three potential first round draft picks, and one of the and they they're all going to line up together in probably seventy percent of the plays the next season. 
Yeah. No, I think, I mean, and there's a difference too. Like, I'm not that high on depth. People love to talk about depth. I am not a big, like, depth is great when you get hurt. Like, I want elite dudes. So, like, if your depth is elite depth, great. Mm -hmm. But if your depth is just good depth, I'd rather have two great guys than eight good guys. So, like, two of the positions, I mean, we're, we're talking about defensive tackle and receiver, which I would still say over the last couple of years have been the most wanting positions. And Urban Meyer would tell you the same thing. They're pumping out first-round cornerbacks. They've had some great linebackers. They've had some really good running backs. They've had some really good offensive linemen. They've been okay at defensive tackle and receiver. So Draymond is changing that. He's more than okay. Him back, good. Okay receivers back is not the same thing. And I love, here's the secret of this podcast, that if no one has figured this out by now. (laughs) You know as much as we do. Because I'm now still going through the questions we got. At underscore Big Twan. The biggest problem with the receivers was not being able to get separation. With all them coming back, are we sure this is a good thing? Big Twan, who has just said the same thing that it took me 15 minutes to say. (laughs) At Joe underscore Cavs, with Trayvon Grimes transferring, does Ohio State have receivers good enough to win a national title? I don't see a Michael Thomas, Devin Smith, Calvin Ridley, Mike Williams guy on this team, and every national title team so far has had at least one. And at Santiago underscore is hell answered him and said, I'll help y'all out, Austin Mack. You could do this podcast. Yeah, they should be the hosts. Yeah. Speaking of which, do we know who won the uh, bowl pool yet? That's a cluster. Yeah. That's on me. That's on me. All right. We'll figure it out. We got time. We actually don't have time because the bowls have been over for 10 days. <laughs> well, I mean, there's we'll have seven. Somebody won. We have... We have a few months of podcasts in between, you know, with signing day, spring football, summer. Let's just, because we haven't figured out who won, let's just let everyone who submitted a pool host every week. A new person every week. Tweet Bill. He will set up the schedule, and you guys just take it, and we'll see you in August. My Twitter yeah. handle is at Tim Bielek. All right, we're going to... win for the Drizzy Gets Busy episode. Uh, we're going to transition into some more questions. We're going to get still to... The receiver breakdown more in depth than we've done so far, even though we did a lot of receiver talk. Um, but I want to get to some more questions. Jordan Alexis at JAA951. With all these receivers returning, and if Haskins is the quarterback, do the kid gloves come off the passing game? Because I feel like Urban doesn't really want to embrace the style of play that best suits Haskins. Listen, like we've sort of talked about that. We're going to keep sort of talking about all that. That's the number one thing with this team. I'm not afraid to talk about it again and again and again and again. We're going to repeat ourselves some of the time. We're going to accidentally come up with new things some of the time. But do you, like, in your heart, in your football brain and in your heart, having watched this offense, do the kick gloves come off? Do they sling it? Yeah, I think they sling it. I think they sling it. I think you you saw a little bit of slinging it at the end of the Michigan game. Not a ton, but, but there was enough there. Like, they trusted Dwayne Haskins to do enough in that game that leads me to believe this offense will be different next year. I completely agree. It may be a little thing where they kind of rein it back a little bit, you know, early on, first week or two, and then by midseason they give him the green light and just... I, I think they come out, because you got to come out throwing against Oregon State and whoever the hell they play before they play TCU. 
Is it just Oregon State before TCU? No, TCU is week three, I think. It's so, Oregon State, then Rutgers, then TCU. Yeah. So it's a progressive you come out. You come out chucking it against Oregon State and Rutgers to know that you can throw and, it against And here's TCU. the thing. Like, Dwayne Haskins is a guy. Like, they don't have to – if Dwayne Haskins wins the job, does anybody have any question about Dwayne Haskins? No. Don't we know who Dwayne Haskins is? I think so. And yeah. we know what he can do? It's a matter of, like, can you do it consistently? Can you whatever? Defenses adjust to you. But, like, again – I think he is. He had the perfect backup quarterback season in 2017. So there is not hesitation and indecision. This is not when JT Barrett wound up being the starting quarterback in 2014. And he played his first college game, and you didn't know what he was going to do, and he didn't know what he was doing. Dwayne Haskins knows what he's doing. Yeah, It's just a matter of are they going to sort of let him do it, call the plays to suit him, and have the faith right away in him, but you're saying you think they've got to have that faith in him right away. Yeah, I do. I, I, I think I disagree with the idea that Urban doesn't embrace that style of offense. I think Urban just embraced JT, and therefore embraced the offense that best suited JT, but I don't think that means he's imp- incapable of changing. And I, I think it comes down to you know Urban coaching to the mentality of his quarterback. I'm, I think with JT Barrett, like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know the, how the floor and the ceiling are almost at the same level. You know, trusting that, you know, he's not going to make a poor decision 90, 95% of the time. Dwayne Haskins, I think we've seen in his limited action, he's a little more willing to take risks, willing to take chances. I mean, that throw to Austin Mackey in the Michigan game, perfect example. That was a difficult throw. He had a safety coming in. Mack makes that catch with a safety just leveling him. And as a quarterback, you know, having trust and confidence that he can make that throw – there's going to be more of those, I think, this season. I think Urban's going to be willing to, you know, trust in in Haskins and have that have belief in his confidence and try and maybe times play into that a little bit. They, I've seen. I actually did see a couple questions earlier that I almost think we should save for next week's podcast because um, you guys were getting me all fired up there, and I almost I almost said I think Ohio State's going to win the national championship next year, but I didn't say it. <laughs> But I do think that would be an interesting overview of a full podcast. Will Ohio State win the national championship in 2018? But I didn't say that. I almost said it. Uh, Continuing the theme of you guys thinking in step with us to the point of you could do the podcast. Gene Nilly, I need at least 15 minutes on Urban Saban, Barrett, Jalen Hurts, and the meaning of life. Already did it. The Urban Renewal. With the top six receivers coming back, how will that limit opportunities for guys like Jalen Harris, Jamario McCall, and the incoming freshman? Already did it. The Urban Renewal, if you're eating wings, where are you going? Like around here, uh, I like Winking Lizard. I think I said that before, Winking Lizard. You like Winking Lizard better than Roosters? Yeah, I, I prefer uh, – well, I don't, I don't like breaded wing. Like yeah. Roosters wings are very heavily breaded. Yeah. I think you guys had a similar discussion to this in Dallas when I was here in Columbus, and I didn't really get a chance to weigh in, I think. So I'm kind of with you, Roosters, Winking Lizard, kind of top two. Wingstop <laughs> also is pretty good wings, although, you know, having a couple times, they have the spiciest, like, mild barbecue I've ever had. Like, their mild barbecue is pretty spicy, I'm not going to say. I'm not a spice head, but it is pretty good pretty good quality chicken they have there. I'm a, I'm a spice head. Um, Sam... That uh, wing stop is like the fast food version, right? Yeah. I feel yeah. like they're they're not fast enough though. Like they're, they're pretty fast. Couple, you think they're fast? Like I feel, but I feel like it's almost the same amount of time it takes to get like your wings at Roosters. No, I think you're quicker. Maybe you think stop. they're quicker. Yeah. All right, guess what we're doing? 
stop timing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we will report back in the next month. We will eat at Wingstop and at Roosters and at Winking Lizard and time order to table wings in our stomach, and we will report back. That's reporting because it's reporting. We can expense it. Yep. Sam <laughs> Faulkner at Samuel. Will the return of Draymond Jones, extra snaps for Bosa and Young, and the promising defensive ta- the t- defensive tackle talents in the 18 class make the D-line even more disruptive this year? Or will the lack of defensive end depth hurt us in overtime? I think, I think as good as the defensive line was, it will be better, and I think you're fine. I think I said, like, last August that the defensive line will be better in 2018. Yeah. Yeah, and one guy we didn't mention, you know, we talked about um, Antoine Jackson. We talked about Teron Vincent. I want to mention Tommy Togiai, who I thought was the best player for Ohio State at the Army Bowl. He was absolutely phenomenal in that game. You know, he's the lowest ranked of those three defensive tackles that are coming in. He's a guy that, you know, they brought in late in the process. So I think he's ranked higher than Antoine Jackson. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of out. He's, I think he's outside the 100, but... Togi, I was, you know, people talk about Vincent. Togi, I was, I think, the best player for Ohio State in that game. He was just disruptive. He was fast, aggressive. That, if that's the kind of thing he's bringing to Ohio State, he's the guy that is really going to push for playing time. And don't be surprised to hear a lot of Togi in the future. Oh, he's I, early enrolled, too. I wanted to do a spinoff here. Um, the Shrine Game. Tim, you've been doing upgate, updates from the East-West Shrine Game practices this week and chris worley is there jt barrett is there damon webb is there and is jamarco there no it's just the three guys it's just okay. barrett jamarco was supposed to be there where's jamarco he's training with the charles bentley oh he skipped it to train yeah okay and billy price is skipping stuff too right yeah i don't think he's doing any all-star games okay the reports Right? The early reports, aren't there like good reports on JT from the first couple days? I know there was a video of like him hitting a deep ball. There's reports they're saying like out of the six quarterbacks right there, he's there, he's the best one. And like he's taking snaps from center. I think one picture I saw yesterday was him taking a snap from Michigan State center Brian Allen under center, which is two things that, I mean, two kind of odd things you see like two weeks removed from the Cotton Bowl. So. He was like Eric Galco, who's one of the scouting guys yep. I thought said like he had a list of like winners from Tuesday's East West Shrine game practice and JT was one of them. So like that confused me because I feel like also Texas hired a new co offensive coordinator this week. Herb Hand, oh, who yeah. was like the offensive line coach at Penn State and then was at Auburn, uh-huh. left Auburn to go to Texas and is now co offensive coordinator with Tim Beck. And that made me search Tim Beck on Twitter. Which I just like to do sometimes. <laughs> and there was definitely somebody who tweeted like, oh, pairing Tim Beck with a co-offensive coordinator who's an offensive line coach. That'll work out great. <laughs> but I saw that t- – so Tim Beck got code. He got a co – I don't know if he had a co before, but he got code now. He's a co-coordinator. Um, and we, I, I felt like we had sort of maybe come around to the idea of, you know what, like if, if you think there were problems – for lack of a better word, with this offense the past couple of years. Just that it, that the offense never threw it the way some people wanted them to throw it. That in the end, it maybe was less about the coaching and more about the quarterback. If JT, if JT like goes to an all-star game and is slinging the ball around, then what? Then what do we think? I don't know that 
the collective talent he's playing against the East-West Shrine game is like equivalent to throwing against Rutgers? I'll buy that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just I, I I was I wasn't taken aback by that, but it was a little bit like, man, like what what was the deal then here? But I also think too. Uh, Sometimes this podcast turns into like a list of JT Barrett's faults. It's just it is what it is. But like, I'm now waiting for people to for him to have a good rest of the Shrine Week. Maybe look good in the game. Well, that doesn't really matter. Whatever, do things and people go. Uh, uh. Everyone's going to compare him to like Josh Dobbs because he's smart, and he's just he's just not good enough. Like, we're going to go all through this. Whole, I think I am waiting for the, oh, well, I don't know. JT Barrett might be, a, he could be, a, and I just don't think it's there. You know what he's going to be? He's got 10-inch hands. Oh, yeah, he does that. have 10-inch hands. Which, which, if you know the draft, like, I forget who came up with the role that's like nine and a quarter inches, like ideal for quarterback. JT Barrett's got 10-inch hands. A bunch of BS. Hugh Jackson loves huge hands. If JT oh, Barrett... If JT Barrett is the answer to the Browns quarterback situation, that's where this ends up. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. Um, so I just like I'm waiting. I'm waiting for sort of the didn't watch every snap of his career people to start coming around on the well. Why did everyone say that JT Barrett couldn't blibbity flibbity? And then it's just going to be like, yeah, but it's just not quite there, which is fine. But I'm waiting for that to happen. Um, during All-Star games. I am, he has made me interested to watch the East-West Shrine game, which I think is an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, he's had a good week of practice. Chris Worley actually had a good day, and there's a quote uh, from one of the guys who's there. He was, I, I guess Worley basically dominated in pass rush, and he kind of laughed off. He's like, yeah, they told me I was just a coverage linebacker, and I'm like, all right. And that was kind of Chris Worley's thoughts. And all of a sudden, you know, I put, if you go on Cleveland.com, see what I put up on Tuesday about it. There's two separate sequences where he makes nice pass rush moves at, from linebacker. Nikki Unders, at Nikki Unders. Do you think Kevin Wilson likes the six-man receiver rotation that we'll surely see again next season? Or is this solely the brainchild of Zach Smith? Do you think that JT liked it? And do you think the next quarterback will like it? I don't it? think it's the brainchild of Zach Smith. I think it's the brainchild of River Meyer. Really? I Why f- would Urban listen to Zach Smith? Because I feel like Urban gives his position coaches a fair amount of autonomy in determining who plays. Yeah, but I feel like only if it's effective. Has like it been Kerry- effective? I don't think so. Okay. Like, Kerry Combs wanted to rotate corners, and then he made it work. Larry Johnson wanted to rotate defensive linemen, and he made it work. They've rotated receivers, and it hasn't worked. Um, but yet they still do it. I think it's more of an Urban thing than it is a Zach Smith thing. Hmm. My thought on it is, it's it's kind of what we talked about earlier. You know, you have six guys who at that point last season were all kind of in the same boat. And if you don't have anybody standing out, you just kind of rotate them and then go with the hot hand, essentially. What was the first part of the question? If it, Do you think Kevin Wilson likes it? No. No, probably not. I want to play, I don't know, I want to play guys. I just want, I just want to play, I want to play... Evan, Spencer, Devin Smith, and Michael Thomas. And that's it. That's who I want to play. Can we get I'm trying to remember back? how much they rotated that year. I guess not very much. But they, they like, those guys played. Like Corey Smith played. Yeah. He had a fumble against Oregon. 
Jalen Marshall also. Jalen Marshall played. Jalen Marshall was H was that, H, right? Yeah. And then moved outside the was next year. Else with some outside? guys weren't there. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. I just want Demario McCall to play. I'm going to be mad. Can I go on the record? I'm going to be mad if Demario McCall doesn't play. I'm going to be mad if McCall play. Also, I feel like there is a fight on the beat to determine who liked Michael Thomas as an NFL prospect the most when he was at Ohio State. <laughs> because, like, every time Michael Thomas made a catch in the playoffs, people were like, well, yeah, I knew that. And, like, I wanted to tweet that, too. And then so many other people tweeted it. I was like, I guess I won't tweet it. But I remember, like, here's, and here's the thing where I think, like, I've come around on Michael Thomas. Sometimes, I almost tweeted this, and I didn't tweet it. We're not scouts. Hmm. We don't want to be scouts. Maybe we do. No, we don't. I don't want to be a scout. Do you want to be a scout? I don't want to be a scout. I want to be a scout. You do? Yeah, I feel like they don't do anything. They don't have to cover basketball. It's like, they get to go watch football games and, and just watch. And then when the game's over, they can leave. Well, the, I want that life. Well, they they have, have to write a report. They have to write a report that nobody reads. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, surely they do things. Yeah, they do. But, uh, no, yeah, I love that. I'd love to do that job. I think they spend, like... Let's get you a job as a scout. Can, I, you, can, be my, can I, you be my source when you're a scout? Yeah, like, uh, uh, NFL team source told me something I already knew, but it makes it sound more fancy because it says NFL team source. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Sure. NFL source had opinion that other person has opposite opinion, and I'll quote them next week. But for now, NFL source that has no power and whose opinion means nothing has opinion. Yeah. That is inf- basically uh, – what's the word when you're uh, – when you like libel somebody? Like it, defamatory. defamatory. Has, def- has anonymous defamatory opinion about uh, young – Amateur football player. But I don't even mean that. I mean like uh, an AFC West scout told whatever publication that Denzel Ward's a first-round cornerback. Yeah. Like, you think? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your input, anonymous and AFC West source. So, for it's talking about this. This is what I want to say. I do feel like sometimes, like, the collective group of people who just watch one team and have literally seen every play of a person's career – sometimes actually do have a feel for guys that that NFL people don't have because they haven't been around that player his whole career and haven't watched every snap and haven't talked to him and other people around him for three years. And they come in and ask a coach and they watch some film. I've been at, like, I was, I was on, I was on the sideline before the Nebraska game and there was a scout from the Eagles there, like asking me about, he's like, what's the deal with 97? I was like, you mean Nick Bosa? Like, oh, he's the best player on the team. What do you mean, what's the deal with Nick Bosa? Yeah, his brother was a third pick in the draft, <laughs> dumbass. Uh, but I think if any – they didn't ask me. No one asked me anything. You were in the press box shooting a Facebook Live. If, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do a Facebook Live aimed only at NFL scouts. If, if any scout or anybody from an NFL team would have asked anybody who covered Ohio State about Michael Thomas, everybody would have said, take him in the first round. Like, there's no – everybody who covers Ohio State was like – when Michael Thomas got picked at 47th was like, wow, that was too late. I don't know anything about Josh Doxson. I think his name is like Doxson, like the wiener dog. It's not. It's Dotson, right? I'm going to call him Josh Doxson. It's Dotson with a C in there somewhere. Josh the wiener dog got drafted ahead <laughs> of Michael Thomas. And another guy who I don't know who – like five guys who I don't – Corey, Corey Coleman. Coleman. Yeah. But, 
Like, I just would have said, I don't know anything about those other guys. Laquan Treadwell. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about anybody. But I know this about Michael Thomas. He should be a first-round pick. I don't know anything else. But I'm pretty sure he's better than the other guy you're thinking of taking. And if any, like, I'm pretty sure part of your evaluation is like, well, he only had 51 catches. Mm-hmm. And, and my evaluation is he could have had 150, but they didn't throw him the ball. And he is a badass who wants to kill you every play, but who never complained about not getting the ball here. And who runs great routes, who has great hands, is physical as heck, works his butt off, maybe doesn't have like the absolute top end speed that you want to clock at the combine. But I'm just telling you, he's going to be awesome. And every single person who covers Ohio State saw that, and nobody in the NFL saw it. Everybody in the NFL was like, well, he's no Josh Doxund, and then here we are. And now everybody's like, how did this happen? It's like, yeah. We all knew it, every single person, and we're all going to tweet about it all the way to the Hall of Fame. I was going to ask how long it's going to persist. To the Hall of Fame. I find it very bothersome. To the Hall of Fame. So I got to deal with this for 20 more years? To the Hall of Fame. I wrote a comment the Browns should draft him. They didn't draft him. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to tweet it out after this podcast. Also, he's not the best NFL prospect because Joey Bose was on the team. Do you think anyone's going to transfer out Cynical Negro, NW Drone 410? He said some names. I don't like saying names with transfers, but do you think we talked about, hey, the circle of life, there's a natural progression. Now some guys are back. Is anybody going to say the heck with this? I I don't think so because it's just, it's too late. Now you're sitting out the year. The result is that you're being blocked this year. So you're going to leave and sit out this year. And then a year from now, be in the same place where it's your turn. I just, I don't think it, it's too late to do anything, but I'm sure there are a couple guys who are like, come on, man, it's my turn. I think there are a lot of bodies at, at linebacker and a lot of bodies in the secondary um, and on offensive line. So I wouldn't be totally surprised if someone else transfers. I think you look towards guys who might be on pace to graduate. Um, but yeah, so I don't. I I think there are roster moves yet to come. Yeah, yeah, they got to get down to eighty five. I think they're, they're at eighty five. They're at eighty five now. We think they can add a couple more guys in recruiting. So it's just going to come down to just you know that numbers game and they're yeah they're recruiting as if the number is going to change. So but so let's talk about that though. Tim brings up the numbers, and I wanted to get to that. Considering everybody came back, we thought they'd lose six or seven to the NFL. They lost three. They're actually okay on numbers. So give them a little numbers breakdown, Landis. They have 63 scholarship players um, returning next year, and they have 22 commits. 21 of them are signed. The one who's not signed is Tyreek Smith, but that's 22 in the class of 2018. Um, 21 freshmen, one of them is a junior college transfer, and Antoine Jackson. So with the returning scholarship players and the incoming 2018 class, they are at 85, which is the number you have to be at. Now, there's... The thing I don't know, and I guess I should know this, but I think it's kind of hard to get like a, a straight answer on this kind of stuff, is you don't have to be at 85, I don't think, until the summer. So they could add a couple recruits, technically be over 85 in the spring, and but it won't really matter until like May, I think. Because the, the other guys will leave. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's fine. Yeah, so if – like we stay on top of the scholarship number – 
um, I think we think it's important. I don't think we're like trying to catch them in anything. I think it's just important to know what the number is. Um, but also Ohio State, even when it looks like they're over, always gets to eighty-five. Obviously, but listen, when it started, I mean, that was a, such a thing. I feel like it's it's not as much of a thing as it used to be with the SEC oversigning. And Urban Meyer was coming from the SEC, yeah. so I I mean, I remember very spe- when he got here, I was like, I'm going to track this number and hold him to this number and ask about this number. But I do not feel like there have been guys absolutely positively run off because they were up against it and somebody had to go. Yeah. That, like, again, if they thought – so only three left. If they thought seven were going to leave and plus they figured a couple – like, I would not be surprised if they were at 91 right now and wanted to sign three more and then – they signed, through, and now they're at 94, and now you are facing running off nine guys. So I am giving them like a nod of respect that they have not pushed it so far that they're at a point where I'm sure fewer guys left than they expected, and they're still okay. That's credit to them yeah. for not pushing it so far that they have to screw guys. They're going to be over by the end of this week. Tyler Friday, four star defensive end from New Jersey, is announcing on Friday he's going to commit to Ohio State. If he doesn't, is that your crystal ball prediction? Yeah, you can like tell me the tweet at an age wall or something if I'm wrong. But uh, yeah, so they'll he'll commit and they'll technically be at 86. So like they're going, so something's going to happen. But we think Joe Burrow's going to transfer if he's not the starting quarterback. Yes, and there are just a couple guys, and again, we're not going to play the game and throw names out there. But there are some guys who have been hurt for a while who are still on the roster, mm-hmm. um, and I think. There there have been a few guys here or there where I sort of felt like they medicaled them and maybe the guy wasn't 100% down with getting the medical hardship of, like, you're still on scholarship at Ohio State, you can get a free education, but you're not playing football anymore, we decided you're too hurt. That has happened a time or two, but I've tried to check into that and I have never heard a story that was so egregious that a guy I wanted to give guys opportunities to say something if they felt like their careers were ended prematurely because of a numbers crunch and it had that has not been the case yeah I've wondered about some of them and maybe some were iffy in my mind but nobody has ever wanted to tell me on or off the record that it was a major problem and so it's not a major problem like the closest thing they ever got to that I think was Jamel Dean right who like they? I don't know if vindicate is the right word, but like he got hurt again at Auburn, and I think his career's over. And they were very there. That was the, his high school coach was was said that, right? Uh, and they were very Ohio State was very strong coming back after I wrote that and saying, "Here's the deal with this kid's medical situation. We love this kid. We wanted to play him." There were a couple other guys who were actually on the roster. I think it's worse. I think it's bad to do it. I know Alabama's done it. The kids think they're coming. And then it's like, oh, shoot, we lost the key to your dorm room. Yeah, That's awful. But I also think it's awful when you have a guy who's like in your brotherhood and you're like, you know what, you just haven't played very much, leave. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but I was in the brotherhood. Yeah, you're out of it now. And and, and again, I, I'm that really hasn't happened to my knowledge. And I think it does happen sometimes um, other places. And I think... You owe it to the current players, and you owe it to the fans, and you owe it to the program itself to try to be on top of that stuff. So um, I thought maybe that was going to be a problem, um, and I think it's been less of a problem. 
And virtually no problem here under Urban Meyer. Jordan Steele off the Jordan Steele. If Urban Meyer were to run for president, who would he select from his current staff to be vice president? Greg Schiano. Uh, I would think if if you're going to have a vice president and you want somebody who kind of is a little bit of a polar opposite personality, kind of gets people excited, vice president Kerry Combs, anybody? I'm down with vice president Kerry Combs. Yeah, that's good. I think it's good to have... Um, like difference in personality on the ticket, but I also think you want someone who you can be sure can do the job in your stead. And Craig Schiano or Meyer are the same person, so that's true. Although, although Kerry Combs is going to potentially have three cornerbacks go first round in the last two drafts. So, I no, th- no, I don't mean I don't mean quality of coach. I think Kerry Combs is a very good coach, but I think in leadership style, Greg Schiano and Urban Meyer are very similar. In West Wing, I think I think President Bartlett says to Hoynes. Because I could die. That's why he says he picked Hoynes to be vice president. Yeah. It's very emotional. Yeah. Great show. Uh, boy, this is, kind of a, this is kind of a mean one. I don't know about these. Kyle Brandenburg, who is the biggest disappointment this year, and who's the biggest breakout star next year? Biggest disappointment? I don't know if I have one. You know what? And I think he, Jerome Baker. And, like, Jerome Baker, I oh, think, yeah, would vote for himself. Yeah. I'm very curious to see where Jerome Baker winds up getting drafted. I think Chris Fedor, was it Fedor or was it somebody else? Fedor's mouth draft had him going to the Browns. In like the third round. Yeah. And I sort of was like, is Jerome Baker going to be there in the third round? But maybe he wasn't as good this year as he was last year. And he would. And he said that the whole year. Something was up with him. Just He just didn't have it this year as much. But he's still, I think, a very skilled, smart, hardworking guy that is going to be very attractive and I imagine is going to test very well and interview very well at the Combine. Um, but I thought he would be an All-American candidate in 2017, and he was not close to that. I thought, actually, Draymond didn't have a great season. Part of that's because he had that cut on his leg and he missed a few games. But I think, like, just carryover from his redshirt freshman year, he was not as productive as a redshirt sophomore. If you want to, I, I don't Disappointing, I think, is too strong of a word, but didn't live up to what I thought he would be this year. I'm kind of agreeing with Doug, and maybe I'm a little bit with Bill as well. Maybe disappointment is kind of a harsh term. Maybe underperforming. Although, like you said, we've talked to Baker. We talked to Baker a bunch at the end of the season. He admitted he's hard on himself. He's a hard grader. You know, he has high expectations for himself, and he'd probably be the first guy to tell you, "Hey, I just had an I had an off year this year." I mean, coming off what he did in 2016, where he was phenomenal, especially down the stretch as a playmaker on the defense, we thought he was going to be special, and he just wasn't quite that guy and you know there's a very good chance you know he goes in the NFL like you said it's the second third round pick and he just lights it up and it becomes that stud that I think everybody thought it was just wasn't at Ohio State as good as he thought we thought he was going to be second part of that question is breakout star for next year uh, I have like oh one that is like it's hard breakout stars will be too strong of a word um Isaiah Prince is your starting left tackle. I think is going to have a really good season and going to surprise a lot of people. It's a good one. I won't tip one of them because I think because again we'll wait till the receiver talk before I get into it. But because of what I saw in the Cotton Bowl, how about Kendall Sheffield? I thought he played. He got progressively better as the season went on. I thought the Cotton Bowl was his best game. You know, he was yep. he was in on a couple. He was in on that first takeaway. He he ripped that ball. He punched the ball. 
He got beat. He got beat first. Yeah. He got. He, he got gave beat. up the reception. He got beat, but he turned the football back over. Which, if he, if he can't stop the pass, the next best thing you do is get the ball out. And that's a dangerous way to live. But. I know, but but to be fair, he got a lot from where he was he at did. the start of the season. He 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 inclined and he peaked when he needed to. And he, this is a former five star kid. Um, obviously. Maybe there was a little bit of pressure put on him. He put on himself at the beginning, but as it went on, he got better and better and better. I don't know if he's going to be the number one, but I, I feel like he'll be a guy that that Kerry Combs and this defensive staff will rely on a lot more, and he'll be able to do a lot more next season. I mean, next year they're going to have a th- they're going to rotate three corners again. It's going to be Okuda, Sheffield, and Arnett. Yep. So yes. the three starting corner spots. I think it's possible that of those three, Sheffield's third. Because mm-hmm. I think Okuda and Arnett might be better. So I don't know. I would not pick Kendall Sheffield there. I think Okuda is an obvious pick. Here's my weird pick, and I like to base things off 30-second uh, conversations with people. Mm-hmm. So I think it's possible that Keandre Jones leads this team in tackles next year. I think he is going to be like Josh Perry plus, maybe. And that I know you're trying to think like he's even going to start. Yes, that's exactly so, what I was thinking. <laughs> so what you're thinking is, well, I think Malik Harrison's going to be like sort of the outside linebacker who's more like the cover hybrid guy. Sam. Yeah. And I think that Tough Borland's probably the middle linebacker. And then I think Baron Browning's probably going to force his way into the lineup. So aren't those going to be the three starting linebackers? And I would tell you, don't sleep on Keandre Jones because I had a 45-second conversation with him in the locker room after the Cotton Bowl. I actually think that Baron Brown is going to be the middle linebacker. Yeah, I kind of think that might happen too. I think they might play four. I think like, I think like Baron Browning might be like – I think Tough Borland is like the middle linebacker against Army and Navy. Yeah. And Baron Browning's the middle linebacker against other teams. And doesn't mean he won't play, but and that that you find situations like like tough Borland plays a lot on like third and two and stuff like that. But I I would not be surprised if it it maybe it turns out that the three linebackers on the field against TCU in the first quarter on second and seven are Baron Browning, Malik Harrison, and Keandre Jones. Yeah, I could yes. Yeah, I think so. I agree. I, there's a situation where I think Borland can start the first two games again, then against TCU because they're not they're more of a speed team that he's not out there as much as guys like Browning, Jones, and Harrison are. And they have, I mean, and they did show that they played. I mean, they moved a lot of guys around at yeah. linebacker this year with Worley, and they had some injuries that that forced their hand on that. But they started off playing Worley, Baker, and Booker. Malik Harrison worked in as a fourth linebacker the whole year, and then Borland ended up starting at the end of the year. So I also think that they're – this is not taking away from tough Borland. I just think they're – again, there are guys who are in the pipeline who are waiting for their turn. For instance, like if if Jerome Baker had come back, Keandre Jones would have been like, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Like Keandre Jones is a guy who has done everything right for two years and I think is ready to do something. Um, this is a really good question. Idle hands 21. In an alternate world where Ohio State had Alex Grinch instead of Bill Davis in 2017, do they make the college football playoff, win the championship, make the jump to the NFL, and win the Super Bowl? Could Alex Grinch instead of Bill Davis mean that Ohio State could beat the New England Patriots? I think it's possible. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, here's the thing. If Alex Grinch is here instead of Bill Davis, who's coaching linebackers? Because Grinch has been a secondary coach everywhere he's been. 
Would it be a situation where Shiano's <laughs> coaching linebackers? I don't think it matters. I think it's uh, removing a bad coach and replacing him with a good saying, coach. Who was coaching linebackers this year? <laughs> so you're saying no coach is better than the alternative. That's what you just said, Tim. I'm just saying. No, I, Bill Davis might listen to this. I mean, coaching his family does. If Bill Davis's family is listening to this, feel free to tweet me again or send me another email. That's fine. And he can cash his check for how much did he make? I think five hundred thousand okay. dollars. He'll get, it, and he's going to get a raise. Yep. So it's all good. Unless Greg Schiano takes him to the Patriots, it's possible. What? When Greg, Sh- when Bill Belichick leaves, when Matt the Patriots? Patricia goes to coach whoever he's going to go coach. The Titans. I think it's the Lions. The Lions, and then Bill Belichick hires Greg Schiano to be his defensive coordinator, and then it takes Bill Davis with him. I I thought about that. Is when that going to happen? Did you make that up in your head, or did you read that somewhere? No, Greg Schiano is the New England yeah. defensive coordinator. Uh, I read it somewhere. Yeah, I'm not reporting. That's not a report. <laughs> but, uh, it's just a podcast. Well, it's not a report. Well, Bruce Feldman did say a few days ago that teams are interested in hiring Shiano. Maybe that's why they haven't announced Grinch's title, because they're kind of waiting for all the dominoes to fall before they decide what Grinch oh, is. Oh, no, that's, yeah. I think that's definitely... I mean, the, the idea, like, Greg Shiano clearly wants to be a head coach, and we all know what happened with the Tennessee stuff. The idea that, like, maybe he would have to go to the NFL and be a coordinator to become a head coach again makes sense to me. Matthew Peak at Matt underscore Peak 2. For this question, let's say Ohio State's offensive line is average to above average, although we can't tell just yet because we don't know who's going to be starting. But just how special can this offense be with all the returning players? If we assume the line's at least decent. I think the line's going to be really good, actually. Um, you, why do you think the line's going to be really good? Like, I think, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know that they're going to be really good because there's going to be a lot of moving parts. But I think like they finally have guys to fill the hole like they haven't had guys to fill the holes over the last few years and you started michael jordan's a true freshman and but i like demetrius knox was really good last year and he'll be back and he'll start michael jordan's gonna be really michael good jordan's gonna start isaiah prince is gonna start i think you have a question at the one tackle spot and then that's but kind of it candidates. you don't know you don't know who's gonna start but i think you can feel pretty confident in guys like knox and bowen and jordan and even brady taylor i know hasn't played a bunch but they seem to like him um i think if they didn't like him and he didn't think he had a legitimate shot of being the starting center he wouldn't be here um yeah. So I think there's there's just guys there that make me think like I, maybe it's crazy to say when you lose Demarco Jones and Brady Price they're going to be really good, or Billy Price they're going to be really good, um, but I think they're going to be better than people expect them. Thayer Munford. Oh yeah, Thayer Munford. I was just about to mention yeah. Thayer Munford. Were you going to sing it though? No, I okay. was not going to sing because I am a terrible singer. But uh, so what? Doesn't sound. Uh, I'm a good singer. I'll kind of. I'm a, I'm <laughs> with you on that. I even though we there's questions at left tackle and center that they have to fill. What they showed last year was you know. When guys got injured, other guys got step up, stepped up. Demetrius Knox being the prime example. Isaiah Prince turned it around and had a much, much better season than he did as a sophomore. There was going to be a lot asked of him if he moves over to left tackle, and it could be a situation where he moves over to left tackle, Thayer Munford slides in at right tackle, and then they put Brady Taylor in, in its center with Brandon Bowen kind of being that sixth lineman. The one thing is they legitimately have had the best center in college football for two straight years. Mm-hmm. No offense to Brady Taylor. They are not going to have the best center in college football next year. And I think we will get a reminder of, of that that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think so. And like Jacoby Bourne was solid and he was an undersized guy and he did everything you asked him to do. Um, but he had NFL guys all around him and Taylor Decker, Pat Elfline, and Billy Price who were young but had great, great potential and were building up to how good they were going to be um, as they played in 2014 and 2015. So uh, they're going to have, like, especially, for instance, if Michael Taylor, if Michael Jordan 
kicks out the tackle. Which is and, possible. And, and they wind up with Knox and one of the young guys at guard, whether it's Josh Myers or Wyatt Davis, plus a new center. Like, that's a thing. That's like you're in the playoff against Clemson's defensive line and is Dwayne Haskins going to get murdered because the interior of the defensive line can't block an elite of the offensive line can't block a leap defensive line. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're yeah. projecting. I'm worried about them blocking Clemson in the playoffs. That's yeah, is where is I am right now in, or- in January. Is it Cotton Bowl or Orange Bowl? Uh, I don't want to go to the Cotton Bowl oh, again. Okay. So hopefully the Orange Bowl. <laughs> you don't want to go to Dallas three times in a well, year. To be fair, I'll bring this up. Everybody's gonna be worried about blocking Clemson. Clemson's got an NFL defensive line coming back next. No, week. no. For all the for all the Ohio State people that came back, everybody in Clemson came back. Yeah, right. I, I was stunned when I was stunned when they announced. Christian Wilkins announced he was coming back. Is Yari Cleveland, Cleveland Farrell coming back? You have Dexter Lawrence, who's going to be a junior. Austin Bryant is also back. They're already great defensive line. You had Christian Wilkins in? That's a defensive line that's even better than Ohio State. You know why they came back? Dabo. Oh, they were going to say the Brotherhood. Oh, yeah. Or, the Dabo Brotherhood. They want to go down that slide <laughs> of the facility again. So that question, we didn't even get to the question. Because we got sidetracked so by the, 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 the question <laughs> was how special can this offense be with all the returning players? And again, I would say you are not returning Michael Thomas yeah. and Ezekiel Elliott and Devin Smith. You're returning like okay, fine guys, but you're returning the same receiving core that hasn't been quite good enough for two years. So, no, I, I do not think this is like this is not special offense written all over it to me. Now, J.K. Dobbins might win the Heisman. I'm all in on J.K. Dobbins. Mike Weber is going to be as good of a backup tailback as you have in college football, just as long as he doesn't take too many snaps away from J.K. Dobbins. Paris Campbell at H-back, I'll take that speed. I'll take it. Find ways to use it even more. I think one of the underrated things that we underrated in the moment, and I think probably was glossed over a little bit, is what was one of the things we, Nick Bosa got kicked out of the Iowa game? Who else was missing from the Iowa game? Paris. Paris Campbell. He, like he is different. Mm-hmm. So that's a big deal. I wanted more Demario in there. I'm waiting for receivers to emerge, but I I, I don't know. Again, this is not this is not the 2015 Ohio State offense that had. That team had three or ten guys in the first three rounds of the next draft. Many of them on offense. So I don't. I, I'm not think. I, I am. I'm thinking Ohio State might win the national championship next year. I'm not necessarily sitting here thinking like, "Wow, this offense." I think there's potential for that. I am probably a little higher on the receivers than other people. I don't think this collection of receiver talent meshed well with what JT Barrett does. Um, Dwayne Haskins is going to throw these guys the ball. Like I, I get separation is a concern. Dwayne Haskins doesn't care about doesn't care about separation. He's going to throw you the ball and trust that you catch it. Um, JT largely wouldn't do that. He did it a few times. He did it against Penn State, but JT was always going to trust his legs more than he was going to trust someone's ability to catch a ball in traffic. Dwayne Haskins is going to be the complete opposite. So if that's the case, and these guys aren't super dynamic at receiver, but can catch the ball, have good hands, and can catch the ball in traffic, which I think they might be able to do. They have some good size there. Um, that's the only question mark for me. Otherwise, I think there is the potential there for this to be – I don't want to say – like their offense at 13 was awesome. Their offense at 14 was awesome. So I don't know if it's going to be quite on that level, but I think it's going to be better than it was over the last two years. Or could could certainly be better than it was over the last two years. I agree, and it comes down to a higher ceiling quarterback, I think. Whether it's Haskins or Tate Martell, we, we believe ha- 
Haskins does seem like he has the edge. I, yeah, it's like and while he's good, I mean, there are things he could fine-tune a little bit. That's that's expected with a, a guy coming into his third year of college football, second of playing time. But I think when it comes down to it, you kind of you kind of said it. I think this receiver group is going to be better with a guy who's willing to be more aggressive with the football to try and throw guys open a little more. And we saw, you know, multiple cases where guys covered Haskins doesn't care. I think I'm trying to remember it was like a play. I th- I'm trying to remember what game it was. He threw a ball like right in between two, def- like right over a defender's shoulder and caught it for a touchdown. I'm trying Haskins to did? Yeah. No, I don't know. It was, I think, an early game. I want to say it was like Army. No, it wasn't Army. It was. Doesn't matter. Yeah, whatever. But the point is, you know, I feel like Haskins is going to trust his receivers more because I feel like he he has trust in his arm. And when a quarterback has trust in his arm, the receiver is going to feed off that, and a good quarterback always makes receivers even better. At Tim Buckley 98 besides the fact that the receivers likely wouldn't be highly rated in this year's draft, except maybe Paris Campbell, do you think Haskins and his throw-first mentality slash ability help sway some of these decisions to come back to the point you were just making, Tim? If you think that's going to be that way, do you think some of these receivers who might, if they were on the fence, might have been like, man, I want to come back for some of that. Yeah, I, think I do. That's human nature. Those, those guys loved, everybody on the team loved JT Barrett. I'm sure everyone of those receivers is like, you know, as much as I love JT, you know, if Twain's throw me the football, I got a chance to get some more numbers, you know, get, get drafted a little higher, get a little extra money in my pocket. So let's give it one more shot. We're going to definitely, we are going to definitely do some pre- predicted numbers on Dwayne Haskins passing yards and all his passing numbers for 2018 because I'm wondering like how nuts we think it might be and how potentially off we might end up being if it turns out they don't change the offense that much if we're going to sit here and project him to throw 5,000 yards and he's going to throw, I mean, throw for 2,800. It's not going to be quite that, I don't think. Yeah, it won't be like Colt Brennan did back in the day. By the way, go away. are, just to double check, are Colt Brennan, Chase Daniel, and Case Keenum, the same person? Yes. I would say no, but then again, when was the last time you ever saw three of them in the same room together? Where did Case Keenum go to college? Houston. Houston. He was a Sumlin guy. Where did Colt Brennan go to college? Hawaii. Hawaii. And where did Chase Daniel go to college? Missouri? Yeah, Mizzou. Also, Christian Ponder might be in that same group. All these fake quarterback names. (laughs) Christian, Case, Chase... (laughs) Colt, Cholt, <laughs> Chunk, Clay, Clay, Tom Herman named his kid TD, Tommy Danger. What's his first name? He named his, his kid's middle name is Danger, but I can't remember what his first name is. Tiger or something. It's some football name. Tim Beck Danger Herman. <laughs> well... This is one of those things, like, if I have enough... I'm 44. If I have a son someday... <laughs> And Texas wins the national championship this year. I will name him Tim Beck Maurice. Well, the only other person I could think of who ever had a middle name of danger was Austin Powers. I think if Texas wins the national championship, you should adopt a son and name him Tim Beck Maurice. I have a 14-year-old daughter who I'm just going to have to explain that I have to change her name yeah. to Tim Beck Maurice because Texas won the national That'll championship. That will be good before high school. Yeah. Zach Kaminsky, this is a question that I'm going to direct only at Tim, at Kaminsky underscore Zach. Clemson's defensive line. Versus Ohio State's defensive line. Who's is better next year? Oh, um, Clemson's by a hair. 
because I think people thought Farrell and Wilkins were going to be first rounders this year. Bryant, I I don't know as much about Austin Bryant because I don't I don't think he was doing much in that uh, Fiesta Bowl two years ago against Ohio State. Farrell made himself a lot of money in that game alone, more than I think anybody else in that game for Clemson. Lawrence is a five-star. He'll be a first-rounder. Wilkins will be a first-rounder. Farrell, for sure, is a first-rounder. They're all going to go in the first round of the 2019 draft. Bosa will be a first-rounder in 2019. And then after that, you know, Draymond could be a first-rounder in 2019. Young isn't draft eligible till 2020. And Robert Landers is a first-rounder. Yes, exactly. I'm all, I'm all on the BB Laner's first round train right there. Is that the starting defensive line? Young, Bosa, Young, Draymond, and BB. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So. That I mean, Clemson. I think is the only defensive line that's better than that. And I mean, Clemson's defensive line could start in the NFL. I think that's how good they are. Easy Ohio's Shiano. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you could say that, and legitimately, in this case, be be a hundred percent right. Genilly. 97. With Alabama still dominating, Clemson the number two program, and the emergence of sleeping giant Georgia, will Urban win another national championship at Ohio State? Yes. Yes. Here's the thing. It's one of those things. Georgia, are we headed toward a world where the SEC gets two in all the time now? No, I that's, don't think so. Because that's the only problem. That's the only thing that, for instance... That's the only way that Georgia's emergence would have an effect on Ohio State, other than what we've talked about previously with Georgia keeping some of their own guys, in-state guys, home in recruiting, which has a marginal effect on Ohio State with one or two guys a year. But overall, in terms of positioning for a title and all this stuff, that's the issue. Georgia and Bama both got in this year, and that, that really messed up Ohio State. If that's the world, if Georgia is going to be so good and Bama is going to remain so good that the committee just thinks, wow, we just they just have to both be in, then that's a problem for Ohio State. If it's not that, it's mostly just Saban's problem because now all of a sudden the SEC spot is has two great teams competing for it instead of it just going to Bama, right? Mm-hmm. But is that not some fear? Is that not some fear? Or do we think this was a one-off? The Big Ten, most of the time, as long as there's, it's not a two-loss team, tra- yeah. you know, like most of the time, all of the things being equal, the Big Ten will be fine. Their champion will be very competitive for a playoff spot. And the fact that Georgia is good won't matter that much. Yeah, I think that. I think that's the case. Um it's just that your Big Ten champion the last two years has had two losses. And it didn't matter last year or two years ago because Ohio State got in as a non-champ. But as long as you're Ohio State and you have one loss, I would feel pretty good about getting into the big or the college football playoff. And I don't think that Georgia's emergence really will have anything to do with that. Because if Georgia is established and here for good, or at least for the foreseeable future, um, they'll play Alabama in the SEC title game and settle it there. Yeah, I don't think you should be concerned either Either for that reason as well as Ohio State's not going to have a 31-point loss every single season. Yeah, I think I just think this was a weird year. I think it was a weird year. So I, I would not be – I'm not ready to – I think there are three dominant programs, and Ohio State is still one of them. I'm not ready to put Georgia up there just yet. Do it again. But I don't think – but I think they are going to do it again. I understand if you don't want to sure, put it – Sure, I, I don't know what's stopping them. They're going to get there – I. 
People think I they think, had. I think expectation is hard to manage. I think that kind of talent is hard to manage. Like it's people might just think they're they're recruiting at a crazy level and it's easy to win. Um, I think you have to be a special kind of coach to manage that thing. And I don't know if Kirby Smart's that guy. He, he very well may be, but I I'm not quite ready to say that just yet. I don't know what stops Georgia from being Bama. I think Georgia's Bama. I think this is it. Well, here depends on what Kirby Smart wants, and if Kirby Smart wants to coach the Denver Broncos, then that's can be what's not. But what he's done so far is stolen Alabama's recruiting style and style of play and taken it to a place where there's more talent. Yeah, that's that's why I'm thinking, why stop it being Bama? He could they could be better than Bama, which Mm. is scary because when you have the state of Georgia, which is a which is a hotbed and you know, looking at the twenty nineteen recruiting rankings, Georgia's loaded the state of Georgia's loads with prospects. Georgia's already got commits from, I think, two five-stars from the state of Georgia. They're going to have the thing next year that Bama had this year. That, was it Jacob Eason? Was the original, was the guy who started this season as Georgia's quarterback, yeah. got hurt. Jake Fromm took over. Eason's Now Eason has transferred. But now they have Justin Fields, and I saw somebody write that people think Justin Fields might beat out Fromm for the job. And they're going to be, they're going to be in the Hurts to a situation that they might have a true freshman who's better than the guy who got them to the national championship game. Yeah. It's an amazing. Well, Kirby's the kind of coach who will go in helicopters, recruit guys. I don't think there's anything that stops him from being I, the yeah. next family. I think Kirby's really good. I think he is too. I, I don't. I don't like. I'm not sitting here telling you. I think Kirby Smart's a bad coach. Like what he did in Georgia has been awesome so far. But getting there one time, I think you have to get there more than once to. to truly establish yourself and they do it next year then fine but i don't think if i'm an ohio state fan i'm not living in fear of like being left out of the party because Georgia's good all of a sudden yeah yeah the sec champ's gonna get in between those two clemson's gonna get in next year because i don't think there's anybody in the acc who's really gonna challenge them it's just up to ohio state not tripping over itself like it did with iowa if they get to the if they get to the end with one loss in a big 10 title they're in next year last question first bunion man has two questions two Completely separate questions in one tweet. Good use of the 280 characters. Pick a game. We need the schedule. Can someone bring the schedule up? Yeah, give me a minute. Pick a game on next year's Ohio State schedule that is a sleeper game for the Buckeyes. And scares you the most if they are ill-prepared. Can't be Penn State. Can't be Penn State, Michigan State, or Michigan. Nebraska. Where does that fit in the schedule? I don't know. Um, they Nebraska, play, they play Nebraska is at home. November third. Between, Between what? what That's right after the bye week, though. So I. Who do they play after that? They play at Michigan State, at Maryland, then Michigan. I think Nebraska is going to be drastically improved in its first year under Scott Frost. They're going to have a quarterback. I don't know who it's going to be, but he's going to find one, and they're going to have a dynamic offense. Um, I just think they're going to be a tough out against, against most teams, and they're going to be motivated. And Scott Frost is a really good coach, so that's my pick. I will say, I'm going to go two weeks later. I'm going to say Maryland could be a tricky game because, number one, they're not going to have a 1,000 quarterbacks get injured again like they did last season. One of those guys is going to be healthy, be it Terrell Pigram or Kasim Hill. DJ Durkin has recruited a lot better in Maryland. They got a former number one prospect in Byron Coward to transfer who will play ne- play there next season, mm-hmm. probably anchor that defense. That's a program that's on the rise. Yep. And there's always that con- there's always that concern, you know. You look at the back four of the schedule: it's Nebraska, it's Michigan State, it's Maryland, and Michigan. There's that natural wall where you know you just get by Michigan State, which is always a tough game at East Lansing. After you just played Nebraska, you have Michigan coming up a week later. 
That's Green's trap game right there. This schedule's pretty good next year. I don't believe in trap games, so I don't like this question, but I agree with Maryland. Um, that schedule... But is the answer just always whoever they played before Michigan? No, not really. Yeah, because like this year they played Illinois. If it's not Illinois, then the answer <laughs> are they is... Still, are they still have a functioning football program? They don't play Illinois next year. They, they play... They play Rutgers early, and then their last eight Big Ten games are Penn State, Indiana, the Fighting Flex, rowing the boat, the fighting, Purdue, the Fighting Jeff Brahms. I al- I almost said Purdue is going to be my trip up game. That would have been too obvious. Nebraska, Michigan State, Maryland, Michigan. Like there are some. This this conference got kind of competent. Yeah. This is this is and again this is the thing. Do you, uh, and and we'll get to it's a last food question from Bunyan Man. This conference, the week in, week out thing, like you look at that, that is at the moment, I don't know what Alabama's schedule is. It's not as hard as that. Nope. No. I don't even know who's their non conference game this season. But it's, and I know everyone gets, like, it's not really about, like, I know people, what's, but what's their conference schedule? I know they've got Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Tennessee with the first year coach. Oh, look, they got Louisville. Um, after Lamar Jackson left. How oh. convenient for Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, so they... They asked Lamar Jackson, like, when he was in high school, when he was going to go yeah. to the NFL. Because he could have come back. And then they scheduled Louisville for that year. Their SEC road games next season. At Ole Miss, week three. Stinks. At at Arkansas two weeks later. Who's the, who's no, but seriously, everybody they play as a new coach. Chad Morris is at Arkansas. Oh yeah, Chad Morris, Arkansas, and then Tennessee, and then Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt on the twentieth. At LSU, number third. I don't know. LSU is always tricky because it's, no, it's not. Well, Death Valley's always makes it interesting. That's and, true. And then that's it. They have home games for the last three weeks of the season. Mississippi State, who's going to have Nick Fitzgerald back. The Citadel. Give me a computer. Three, three of their Auburn four. The three of their four SEC road games are against teams that have new head coaches. Yeah. Yeah, well, the whole SEC has a new head coach, yeah. I guess. But Louisville, Arkansas State, Ole Miss, who hired the interim guy. Yeah, because they're going to get hammered with sanctions. They are Texas A and M, new coach with Jimbo. Louisiana Lafayette, Arkansas, new coach with Chad Morris. Missouri, I don't even know who, who's Missouri's coach. Not Gary Pinkle. Barry Odom. Barry Snyder. Barry Odom. Is that a real person? Quinn I, Snyder. I know, but Barry... He's like the coach of the Utah Jazz. Yeah. I think Barry, I think Barry Odom is a real person. And they did have a, they do have Drew Locke coming back, who I think a lot of people said, you know, could have first-round potential. Emphasis on could. Tennessee with Jeremy Pruitt. LSU with Coach O. Mississippi State with Joe Moorhead. The Citadel. And then Auburn. And then Georgia, most likely in the SEC title game. If they get there. They're going to be undefeated by Can that I game. just say, in conclusion, before we get to our final question, that Bama should not have made the playoff this year? Yeah, but then they won. I know that doesn't, oh, that, I know. That doesn't validate it. Well, but you said that it. That schedule. It sucked. It's awful. That's, it's, that, that is, that's Big Ten 2009. It reminded me, like you said, of a trestle schedule from the end of the 2000s. You know, when they weren't. Like, Rich Rodriguez schedule. Yeah. Exactly. You but the Alabama point you brought it up. I think it was before, like right after the playoff thing. How it can be true that Alabama shouldn't have gotten in the playoff, but yet they still won the national championship. Two things can be right in that thing. And thirty-two team playoff. All right. Last question from <laughs> Bunyan Man. Describe a food that you loved or hated as a child. 
but then changed your mind about as an adult? And why? Whew. This, I want to hear a story about how Bill Landis, when he was a baby, hated wings. <laughs> well, I've, always, I've always loved wings. <laughs> Little Bill Landis, the first time he ate a soft pretzel, said, I don't like this. The answer is definitely not anything fried. <laughs> and your dad said, eat this soft pretzel or get out of my house. And now, mm. I'm going to say... Fish. Fish? Fish. I used to, I wouldn't even like go near fish. I thought it was gross and smelled bad. Yeah. Um, and now I think that's still about some fish, but I eat a nice white fish now. I like fish tacos. So, uh, maybe that. Broccoli. Yeah, no, I think, I was going to say green vegetables. I'm, like, green vegetables actually taste good. I like Brussels sprouts. I like oh, broccoli. They, they I like green sprouts, green yeah. beans. Like, Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are, like, the the go-to, like, in TVs and movies. It's like, oh, I don't want to eat your Brussels sprouts. It's like, yeah. Brussels sprouts are good. Yeah. You just got to cook them right. Right. You can't just, like, boil them. You got to cook them with, you got to put bacon on them. Yes. Oh, I might just like bacon on everything. Yeah, maybe that's it. Like, when you're a kid, you don't know enough to say, can you just put bacon on it, and then I'll eat it? <laughs> but you put a little bacon on Brussels sprouts, and you, like, bake them in the oven, good to go, man. Yeah. yeah. Tim, do you eat Brussels sprouts? Not really. Okay. Um, I feel like Tim has a secret horrible diet. Every time he's but he like, does oh, CrossFit. I was at, I was at, yeah, I was, like, I was at this place. I was at Qdoba. I was at Chipotle. What vegetables do you eat on a regular basis? Baked potato, some green stuff. Baked potato is not a vegetable. Yeah, that's that's a, a starch. That's like, okay. A do you eat broccoli? Not as often as I should. Do you eat green beans? Occasionally. Do you eat uh, Brussels sprouts? No. Do you eat peas? No. Do you eat... What else is there? <laughs> Any leafy green vegetable. Like do you, you eat, like, do you eat a, like, how often do you drop a salad in your, veg, in your diet? Uh, admittedly, not as much as I should. I've been bad on that lately. Because here's the thing. All those things I just said... Put bacon on them, you're good to go. You're yeah. still getting like, the green. You put bacon on everything, though. But that's but that's a good way to go through life. Yeah. Take in anything that you don't like. If whether there's a moment in your life that you're not liking, if you just had a piece of bacon in your pocket and you ate that piece of bacon, moment gets better. Got a food you don't like? Put bacon on it. You're good to go. Yep. Right. So we're, I'm going to get you some pocket bacon tin to mm. carry around. And next time you come across a salad that you're not sure about. Boom, pocket bacon. I never thought of pocket bacon. Do you have an answer? Did you give her an answer? Uh, I did not give an <laughs> answer. Got a, he just got an inquisition about, about his vegetable like, habits. How about, how about the food pyramid? I'm thinking like cornbread. Ooh, I, used to cornbread. Not, I used to not like cornbread for whatever reason, but then I just kind of rediscovered it. And I'm like, man, this is so good. Especially when it's like a really sweet cornbread. Yeah. Do you like when the cornbread has actual corn in it? Because I don't like it. I don't like corn. Uh, right. Corns are. I like corn. Corn's good. Um, I... There's points where you don't even notice. I mean, I prefer if it didn't have the corn in there, but if the corn's in there, it's like whatever. I don't, I don't trust the food that looks the same coming out as it does going in. That's why I don't eat corn. Buckeye, buckeye talk. No, so like, but also, do you want, do you want bananas in your banana pudding? Yes, you do. Yeah, I don't because I prefer everything. I like flavor. Like I don't want corn in my cornbread. I don't want banana in my banana pudding. I get mad I when there's chunks flavor. of tomato in my tomato sauce. Yeah, yeah. I don't want the thing. I just want the flavor of the thing, mostly which is a sugared up flavor of the thing. That is a real fake flavor of a thing. But yeah, I don't want the actual stuff chunking it up. Yeah, I'm with you though. Like tomato sauce, for example, I don't like chunky tomato sauce. Yeah, grind that stuff up, blend it together, and just give me that sauce. Don't give me the chunks of tomatoes in there. Yeah, because if if you give me chunks in there, that's just liquid tomatoes. That's not sauce. (laughs) And I don't even really care if it's not light. It might just be tomato flavored. Sauce. It might not have a tomato in it. 
I think that might have been the hottest food take I've dropped here in about five months. That was a that was a very hardcore vegetable interrogation, yep. and I feel a little bad about it. But Tim, we only do it because we love you, and we want you to eat more green vegetables. And you know who else wants you to eat more green vegetables? Glenn. <laughs> I like the irony of the uh, of. You and I telling the guy who works out more than both of us combined that he needs to eat better. I ate Chick Fil A on the way home today. Anyway, Ooh, um, the Chick Fil A in Grandview oh, opens in two days. Really? Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's a... all right. Best Buckeye talk. Follow us on Twitter. Wants to talk receivers though. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys. Well, you that's guys fun. have both sworn already in the podcast. That's fun. And that one, I don't we even talked a lot about right. receivers. Break the receivers down real quick. They catch the football. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like it's the same. We. Okay, the so, one thing I did want to ask is, like, do we want to lump tight ends in quickly with receivers, too? Sure. Yeah, lump them. Lump away. Start lumping. All right, so we think the top six receivers next year will be the same as this year, or we think Jalen Harris makes it seven, or he like takes someone's place. What do we think happens? Does DeMario get in there? Is it going to be Paris and KJ still at H? We have this whole plan for DeMario to get a spot at H. Are they moving KJ outside? But if they move KJ outside, whose spot's he taking? Too many players. What are they going to do? Well, I'll get back to the yeah. tease I've been saying. By the end of spring, Austin Mack will be the number one head and shoulders receiver. And again, I base it's hard to base things on the Cotton Bowl, but he was the best player in that game offensively or Ohio State. And with Dwayne Haskins, if we if he's going to start a quarterback, that's going to be a guy he leans on because they're roommates, because they have a connection there. I feel like Mack is the guy you brought up earlier about the receiving yards that for whatever reason just wasn't thrown to a bunch. And I think this time around, he's going to be leaned on. He's going to, I think he can be a guy who just can take over a game that Ohio State just hasn't had since, since Michael Thomas was there. I'm not saying Mac is Michael Thomas, but he could be the best thing they've had since Michael Thomas. I don't know. Yeah. I, they might, it's crazy to think they might expand the rotation beyond six, but I think you kind of have to, to work the Mario in and to work Jalen Harrison a little bit. I'm not worried about any of the freshmen. It's like whatever your freshman you're not playing, that's fine. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I think Jalen Harris probably needs to get a chance to play and DeMario needs to play. Now, I think, like, we've talked about Ben Victor a little bit and how he would have been a good answer, I think, maybe for a disappointing question. He needs to get stronger, I think, to be reliable. And if he's not going to, then maybe there's a spot there to take and maybe that's something Jalen Harris can do. But I don't know. I think, yeah, I think Mac's going to be the, the, the top guy and then you rotate in around him, and if someone else steps in, maybe you, you rotate him a little less and play him more. But, yeah, it's kind of an underwhelming position group, I think, at the moment. And it's weird. Like, Johnny Dixon cut all those touchdowns. Johnny Dixon didn't do a whole lot. I think he was hurt. Toward in the, the back the half of the year. I think he was feeling a little bit toward the end of the year. Um, I don't know. That's the thing. That is that – that spot – I'm sorry, I get the X's and the Z's confused. But Dixon and McLaurin shared a spot, and Mac and Victor shared a spot. Yes. And Dixon and McLaurin were the guys who ended up running a lot of the deep routes, running down the field, mm-hmm. and trying to make big plays. Yep. Um, That's the Z. They need more there on a consistent basis. I want more. I want a guy at that spot every down that's threatening the defense. And I don't feel like they had that. And I know Johnny Dixon made big plays, but in the end, Johnny Dixon had 422 receiving yards, and I bet you he had 
I bet you he had 300 of those yards on six catches. And for a while it was... And, and like, I don't mean yeah. to, like, again, but it's just like, I don't know, more, more, somebody else. I don't just want Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin to be those same two guys at that spot. What were you going to say, Tim? I was going to say, for a while he was averaging a touchdown every two catches. So, like, to your point, he's that big play guy. It's just, can he do it more often? And he... There were a couple throws, I think, one particular in the Big Ten title game, he should have caught for a touchdown. Yes. Wait, was he? Yeah, it was him, right? Yeah, I think, I can't remember if that was like a ball that was like slightly underthrown. No, it was more of a perfect pass. I think Dixon just couldn't get two hands cleanly. I think you're right. I think you're right. So I don't know. And then maybe, so like if, and if Ben Victor's not getting it done, then Austin Mack at that other spot just gets more snaps. They yeah, don't have to rotate Jalen Harris spot, plays a little more. Or, or Jalen Harris gets in there a little bit more. Yeah, I don't and know then, what like Elijah Gardner's deal is. I'm not expecting a bunch for him, but, but I don't. maybe he's a speed guy who can play in that Z spot too. I don't know. I wouldn't count yeah, on it, but. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I just, and then I think you're fine. Like, so what, but what, okay. I'm sorry, I forgot about this part. We promised it at the beginning. I'm, I'm glad Tim reminded us. What do you do at H? I think. What are they going to do? Tell me. You're predicted. You're both on the spot, and I don't have to answer. What is your predicted H rotation? Paris and Namario, KJ moves to receiver. Yeah, I think that might it, it creates even more of a logjam on the outside. But I think you might be right. I think they they might end up being three deep at each outside position, and then Paris and Demario are your two H's. So that 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 maybe. Is KJ your deep threat, or is KJ more like Austin? No, I think KJ is more of a possession guy at the, at the X. He's not. As, he's not a big, like you want a bigger bodied guy there, and he's not exactly that. But he's not a speedster. Isn't Jalen Harris a bigger bodied guy? Yeah, but Jalen Harris is pretty fast too. All right, so you put Jalen Harris out there. I think we get two bogged down and that kind of thing too. But I think. they. But when they rotate those six, it's not six guys rotating. It's it's three two man rotations. Yes. So it does matter a little bit. So if we think. Do we think Dixon, McLaurin, and another person are rotating at one spot? Who's yeah, the other person? Yeah, Jalen? So. I would guess Jalen. Okay. Or, or they threw some deep balls to Victor. JT threw a deep touchdown to Victor in the Maybe big move Victor game. over there? Maybe. And then you're rotating Jalen Harris, KJ Hill, and Austin Mack in another spot? You're, yeah, you're rotating potentially your three best receivers. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's where it gets hard. It's, yeah. like we want, it's like we want Austin Mack on the field more. I think we feel like KJ Hill continues to be sort of underrated and does a lot of things. But you want, and they did have KJ and Paris out there together some of the time when they went four wide. They'd have two H's on the field at the same time. So they do do some things to try to get the personnel they want and they think need more snaps yeah. on the field more. So they can do things. The number one guy I'm worried about is Demario. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what they're going to do with him. He Especially says, where Mike Weber is back. Like, he says he's an H. Yeah. He does not hesitate. All the thing that we were sort of like asking all you, what are you, what are you, what are you? He says he's an H. I don't know if they're going to – I think he'll be a returner. I think it would be a waste if he wasn't. Um, maybe that will be their way to make sure he gets the ball a little more otherwise. But, yeah, I don't know. He seems to not have a spot right now, offensively. He's got to be a guy that you got to manufacture touches for. Although you, 
the manufacturing Hulk, touches is a dangerous spot for them. They get, I think that slows them down sometimes. Yeah, that, as soon as I said that, then I then the Braxton discussion you guys had just came back came back up a little. Plus, bit. Tate Martell's got to get his five to ten touches yeah. a game. And that's the thing. Like the answer, right? The answer is not Demario needs touches. Let's run some Demario Wildcat. Yeah, that's bonkers. You just need to play him at his position and give him a chance to make plays within the flow of the offense. But I don't know. I don't know if you can rotate eight guys between these three positions and they're not going to go. Now, the one thing that they, again, they like to do and it's, they like to do it and it makes a lot of sense to do it is they go five wide a lot with their running back and their tight end all split wide because the defense has to match personnel and then they get mismatches that way. But you wind up with whenever they're five wide, it's never five receivers. They're five wide a lot. They do not have four receivers on the field that often. It's usually tight end and the running backs split out, right? Yeah. So and maybe that's the difference. I don't, I so that's really. that's the one thing of like that was unusual as much as they did try to get Paris and KJ in the game at the same time. That was a definite change by them to try to do that. But the answer is not, oh, well, they're five wide sometimes, play all five receivers because that's not the deal. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll be very curious to watch this. And I feel like there's a phrasing, and I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a phrasing to Urban. It's probably one of those questions where it takes me two minutes to ask the question. But the idea of Urban, you have guys who have come back, but you also have guys who have been waiting for bigger roles in this offense. How do you figure out maybe diminishing the roles of some seniors while you're trying to get some redshirt sophomores and some juniors more playing time where they would be getting that time if the guys had turned pro? And is it possible... You know, to have too many good players. No, that's not the end of the question. But yeah, no, I, I think try to get yeah. him to discuss that. Yeah, it'll be an interesting answer. Because I, I don't think I think it's possible. Maybe that he would like laugh it off. Like, what do you think? We have too many good players. But I don't think he would do. I think he he's thought about it. He'll say something about like having checkers and stuff like that, and coaches drawn on grease boards and stuff. But I don't. I think they probably don't have an answer just yet. And I'll be what the springs for. And I think the best because it's illustrative of the larger picture. But I think the best way to say is, for instance, you have two very experienced H backs coming back, who were your two leading receivers last year in Paris Campbell and KJ Hill, and you have another H back in Demario McCall, who's now entering his third season and has kind of been biding his time, waiting for a bigger role in this offense. What do you do? Yeah. That's why if you're a coach like Urban Meyer, you're getting paid. These are millions of million dollar, multi million dollar decisions he has to make. Nope. As, but they do have on their record not managing it that great at times. Yeah, they the whole 2015 season was mismanaged, mm-hmm. and part of the mismanagement was too many good players. And I am not joking; they did not know what to do. And they did not handle it correctly. And they did not handle the quarterbacks correctly, but it was beyond the quarterbacks. It was trying to feel like – and Urban brings it back up to us. That's how you can tell they screwed it up. Because yeah. he well, has mentioned multiple times to us, like it's sort of like it's the media's fault. I'd come in here and we'd win – you know, we'd win by 30 points, and you guys would be asking, well, why didn't this guy get the ball more? Why didn't this guy get the ball more? And it's like, yeah, because – that was a legitimate question because you guys didn't know what to do to get the right guys the ball. So he felt he brings it up enough to make you realize he felt that pressure. And it's not about what we ask. It's about what you do. 
And I just think, and that was with overall better talent. I think they are looking at a very similar circumstance with a lower level of talent. So you get all the problem with less of an upside. So good luck. I, I, with you on that one a lot when it comes to managing all that upside and managing all managing the talent there. That's that's why I think it goes back to the idea of is it going to be a meritocracy in 2018 or is it going to be the loyalty? How do you balance that? And I think Urban Meyer, Kevin Wilson, and company, they got seven months to figure it out before Oregon State comes in in September. They got seven months plus the spring to really figure out how to answer that question. Obviously, they got to figure out quarterback first, and then everything should fall from there. And ultimately, it comes down to just how these guys play on the field, because the guys we see contributing in September are not necessarily the guys we're going to see contributing in November or December when it counts. Do you think it's going to be, in the end, hard, medium, or easy for them to figure it out? Hard. Tim? I think really difficult. I think it's hard, but it's hard for anybody to really figure it out. The, Saban is really the only guy who does it good, consist, who does it Makes it look easy consistently. That's why he's the best. Even Dabo struggled. Dabo struggles with it. Urban struggled with it. Jimbo Fisher struggled with it in Florida State. I mean, I guess I don't know like exactly how Alabama managed like Najee Harris, Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, and all the ten guys they had at running back this year, and they figured it <laughs> out, right? So, do we do thirty seconds on tight end? Yeah. They're going to be, uh, I think, pretty good and kind of dynamic at that position. Led by Ruckert playing or no? Well, Barry first, I think. Rashad Barry, I think, is number one tight end. And I think Ruckert, yeah. Yeah, I think he could be the number two tight end. I don't know what Jake Hausman's deal is. And Luke Farrell. And Luke Farrell, I think they have a lot of room to grow. So, And Ruckert's a totally different kind of player, something they've never had before at the tight end position. But so you think Barry can be like an every-down number one tight end who's a threat every time he's on the field? Yes, Tim, do you think that? Completely agree. He showed it. He definitely showed it at times last season. They trusted him more as a blocker as the year went on. And if you can block, and given Rashad Barry's athletic abilities and the ability to catch the football, there's no reason to think he can't be an every down tight end. Pretty crazy for Rashad Barry. Kind of a cool story of, of where, like, you couldn't, you weren't sure what position he was going to be, and uh, and he flashed, man. He flashed. He's like the Demario of tight ends. Yeah. Like he flashed. So you want some of that flash. And Marcus Ball, I think, had a very solid senior year. Um, but yeah, I think there's I think a so. chance for some flash there, too. But, again, they JT really relied on Marcus Ball. Marcus right. Ball ended up – he caught the last touchdown against Penn State. They often went to Marcus Ball in big spots. Um, but I think Dwayne Haskins might go outside in some of those big spots more than JT did. Who do you think could jump higher, Rashad Berry or Marcus Ball? I don't think anybody can jump higher than Rashad Berry. Well, I'd be yeah, interested, I'm going to be interested to see Marcus Ball's vertical jump at the Combine because he hurtled like three dudes in the, in the last two seasons. That's I'm waiting, true. I'm waiting for Barry to jump over somebody. I think Barry could dunk on a 13-foot net. <laughs> I want to dunk on the goalpost after he scores a touchdown. Get that 15-yard penalty. Worth I don't it. don't care. All right, are we done now for real? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at BillLandis25, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Maurice. Subscribe on iTunes and anywhere else boatload of reviews 
Yeah, uh, we appreciate the five. We are now we were a composite five star again, thanks to you guys. We got like twenty to thirty five star reviews. So we is that in the two four seven rankings? Composite rankings yes. were a five star. The industry industry generated composite rankings were were a five star. Now does that make us the Teron Vincent of Ohio State podcast? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many five stars Urban Meyer got this season, but we were one of we them. We were one of them. Yeah. Um, so thanks to you guys for listening. You can always tweet us questions during the week. Tweet to at Buckeye Talk Pod. That's the best way to get your question answered on this podcast. We could not get to all of them we had so many but we read all of them we appreciate all of them we have some we're going to save for next week when we get probably going to talk more about what kind of record we think ohio state might have in uh 2018 not never too early to go through a schedule game by game i love those oh that could be on the table gonna be fun all right he's bill he's tim i'm doug again thanks to you guys for listening and that was buckeye talk